Uh, you know, we, we've, uh, we've, we've had to travel long and far between cities because your country's so fucking big. And, uh, and, the, and the crew in particular has is, is, uh, is, is had to take some incredibly long drives. And, and so I, I think we should have a discussion about your roads, your highways. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Live on Four Legs Pearl Jam Live podcast experience. You are here for episode 20. Yes, we've made it this far. I'm just as amazed as you are. Yeah. Remember when we got really excited for episode 10? And uh, unlike, I got really excited for episode two. I know. With episode I didn't 10, think now, that would happen. Now I, I feel like I'm double excited because, you know, like, because 20 is like double 10. And I was really excited yeah. for 10. So now I'm. Math, so you're only math, baby. so you're only going to be double the excited when we get to forty at this point. Oh, I don't I don't even know what's how I'm going to feel. Uh, I don't know how I don't I I'm not good at math to begin with, but uh, <laughs> that was the extent the math of on that. Yeah, the math <laughs> on that. Uh, the next time we'll be excited, we'll let you guys know. How about that? There we go. Anyway, uh, we got another fun episode for you today with another Patreon guest. We are here with Patrick Bogle. Patrick, welcome to Live on Four Legs. Hey guys, how are you? We're doing good. We're doing good, and we're uh, glad to have you on. I'm glad uh, that you were a pivotal part of our show early and kind of getting things running and, and getting in touch with us and really steering us in a direction uh, you pitched to us a lot of shows pretty early on and i think a lot of them either we did or got on our list so here we are yeah i'm just super psyched to talk and i uh, appreciate you guys doing this it's a lot of fun yeah and today we're gonna do uh our first canadian show ottawa 2005 and uh like i kind of mentioned last week we were kind of in between we kind of jumbled it around a little bit but Last week we did 03, uh, that was Camden, that was one that you were at, Patrick, uh, and before that we did Grand Rapids 06, so we're kind of in the same time period here, but we're jumbling up a little bit, so, uh, you know, if you've listened to the last two episodes, you're kind of getting the same, you know, this is the transition in between maybe 
the last two episodes. So I, it doesn't matter what order you listen to them in, and it's, you know. But uh, that's that's how they happen. So essentially, this this tour that they were on, uh, this Canadian tour, uh, was the first time that they had done a full, complete Canadian tour, uh, and they did this again in 2011, right after uh, PJ20, and I, I, I could be mistaken, but they probably had one for earlier in Backspacer as well, uh, but I can't remember at this moment in time. Uh, so this is in between Riot Act and Avocado, and this tour goes on, and, and they don't do too many. They do an Atlantic City show later uh, in this month that uh, they did Ottawa, but... Um, just tell me about the time, just being a Pearl Jam fan in 2005 and hearing about them going on tour in Canada. Uh, so I, I think, like, for the band, this was, to, for me, the, the experience of seeing them was this one of the more interesting time periods for them. Um, from the Riot Act tour through this, I didn't get a chance to see uh, any of the uh, Voters for Choice shows, but... Um, was you know obviously well aware of what was going on um, with those and it the band was just really in a very very good zone and a very good creative zone at this time um, and um, I wanted to get out to these shows kind of because I thought there was an opportunity to potentially um, catch them uh, doing some stuff that might have been on the forthcoming album they hadn't announced exactly what the name of it was going to be at this time but they had you know in the past had been open to um, exploring their new material on the road. That obviously didn't materialize, but um, they did a little bit of uh, the Lost Dog stuff, which was kind of interesting. So you're seeing the beginning of the tour and seeing things sprinkle in, whether it was sad or, you know, bringing back Hard to Imagine and, um, and you know, just sprinkling things in here or there from that record. Um, I, I, the thing that I really loved about this time period is I'm a big Stone fan. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna fit in real nice on this show. <laughs> I'm a little hard on Stone, but I, I Stone Matt, gets Matt away loves with any, him. Stone gets away with anything when it comes to uh, my thoughts on him. So we're we're gonna get along just fine. And he just he's he was on to, for my taste. He was on a little bit of another level. These couple of tours, he just played really well. Was doing really interesting things. Um, and this is a time period where I just, I love going back to these, the, these shows. And I just started actually getting like even a deeper dive into some of the other shows on this particular tour. Um, cause I spent so much time kind of just listening to the couple that I went to cause I had, um, had gone to Montreal the night before. Um, and it just, you know, the, the vibe from the crowds are, are one of the things that I remember at both of these shows, the fans were just so passionately into these these concerts and there was tons of people that were traveling city to city um you know and, and it just the experience of it and the the intensity of the crowds was just something pretty special right now i think a lot of people sorry if i cut you off matt uh i think a lot of people that were on the boards uh that when i posed this uh you know hey we're doing ottawa for our next episode a lot of people had originally said uh their initial thought in their mind was get to Montreal because Montreal is the big city. That's where they'll do the big show. They'll they'll bring out all the rare ones. So what made Ottawa a better show in your mind than Montreal? I, I'm assuming that Ottawa is the better show since we're sitting here covering it today. 
for well for me i i definitely i enjoyed the ottawa show more um i think it just it was it was happenstance i think a little bit of it was the night before was the one year anniversary of uh johnny ramone's passing Mm-hmm. They they touch on that a lot in that show, um, and I think it was you know many ways it was heavy on their minds. Obviously, heavy on Ed's mind with how close a friend he was, um, and I think it was it, it was a good show and a, and a fun experience. But I think they were feeling a little bit more relaxed um, on the next night, and it just kind of met with the Friday, and it poured rain all day. <laughs> Um, so we were a lot of people stuck in a parking lot, uh, waiting to pick up tickets and, you know, the, the little merch that was happening at that time, it wasn't a huge merch train. Um, but there were, you know, things to, to pick up from 10 clubs, you know, whether it be posters and whatnot, but, um, it absolutely poured that day. Um, and the venue itself was way off the city. Um, unlike, you know, Montreal where, you know, the, the venue is walkable from hotels and whatnot. Um, you pretty much you got to drive to the the what was then the Corral Center and um, and I, I just think that you know the vibe was 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 just good in the air and and the, and the way the band attacked the what what I found to be a really engaging set list. Um, I also had the extra treat of when it did stop raining, wandering inside to do the the pickup of the tickets and um one of my brothers was with me and he's been a sort of a good luck charm he's gone to a a few shows with me um and usually when i bring him something crazy happens whether it's the second night of randall's island or jones beach three where they played a bunch of no code songs well he ends up at this one and um ultimately we've got uh the sound check where i kind of got confused for a minute um, I was sitting inside and I'm hearing the sound coming out and I'm like, somebody's playing uh, an, an Eddie Vedder live concert tape because I'm hearing him play Can't Keep and I'm, then I'm hearing him play You're True and I had had a tape of him playing at the Wiltern Theater from uh, February of 2002 and then slowly it dawned on me, I'm like, oh my god, you idiot, he's sound checking these songs right now. <laughs> and I start, you know, moving towards where you can actually get closer to uh, an open corridor to be able to hear what was going on. Um, so he had sound checked a bunch of those um, tracks, which ultimately, obviously, Can't Keep was on Riot Act, but um, the tracks that um, ended up being on ukulele songs, you know, six years later. Um, so that was happening. Um, I did not ultimately hear them sound check, uh, wash and don't give me no lip. Um, I had actually checked out before that and I'm kind of happy I did because it left those to be a little bit more of a surprise later on in the evening. Those, I, I, yeah, you kind of got out when the getting was good there. Cause if, if, if that were me and I would have heard wash and don't give me a little lip, I would have ran outside the stadium and, and would have screamed guys, get what we're getting tonight. Guess what we're getting tonight. I, I would have, if that were me, that would have, that would have gone down that way. But, um, that's, I mean, coolest of cool surprise. Like we're going to get to that in a little while, but to get a song, you know, fr- pretty fresh off of lost dogs. that's never been played before. That's pretty rare, uh, to put in there. So, um, Anything else before we get started? Anything that you just sort of remember from this night, whether it being, I, I think you said something about making friends with a, a fan? Well, we had the, 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 both nights basically, um, you know, the same group of folks that had 10 club tickets were, um, we were all pretty much in the same few rows on um, Mike's side. 
um, on the floor, and uh, one of the guys who was there both nights, he got caught in the pouring rain, and I, to this day, don't remember his, his name, and I, I've been dying to find out, um, uh, you know, who he was, because um, I just didn't keep touch, but uh, he ended up getting soaked in the parking lot, and he didn't have any extra clothes, so he had to borrow a friend's girlfriend's extra clothes, which were basically <laughs> Adidas tennis shorts and a ringer t-shirt. <laughs> he was, you know, big guy in, in skinny clothes getting these on. He not a big guy himself, but trying to do this. And he just, he, he went with it for the entire evening and, and, and on exit at the end of the show, he had everybody in stitches cause he was just calling attention to himself and started screaming out, is anybody ready for some 1970s tennis? And that's, he had that full-on outfit. All he needed was a, was a headband. So I'm guessing that he, he couldn't shell out the $30 to just get a new shirt? Um, I'm thinking that he might have been, that might not have been his second show of the tour. That might have been probably like his 13th. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. So he was he was doing the whole tour dance there. Yeah, you don't, you don't have fresh clothes after that or any money. Totally understandable. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's bounce into the show then. I think, um, like you said, uh, they, uh, they did a sound check with wash and it was raining all day. And I think we, we've done a show or two before where wash was used, if not open with, uh, on a rainy day. So here we go. And that's how they, they kind of open up, uh, on this one. Um, I thought this was a little bit mellower of a version than usual, uh, but the acoustic is so, such a heavy presence here, uh, that it, it sounds really good. And I think the ending, I wasn't, I wasn't sure on it until the end and, and, and where Ed's voice was at the end. And then the end, it really sold me on it. I thought that, uh, they kind of really came back with it. It was a little, I guess for Wash, it was a little timider than I wanted it to to be. I completely agree. I thought it was a, a nice way to start it off. But I wrote down in my notes uh, that I really felt the ending. The ending was super powerful and, and really emotional. So we're we're right on the same page with, with that. Yeah, they very much like worked their way into this slow and tempoed and like easy groove and just feeling their way out. Um, and as they crescendo towards the end is, is a good peak for them on that. And, and by saying timid, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just, um, you know, obviously we've, we've done so much to, uh, cover certain songs and, and we get so used to, uh, certain ways that songs sound that, um, we're kind of comparing to, other instances here uh and you know and while timid is not that that, that's not necessarily a negative aspect here it's just kind of comparing it to where uh other washes may stand stand that sound kind of gritty that sound uh kind of gloomy uh this one was timid but at the end I, i i wrote here um Ed's voice sounded like they were crossing the finish line on full sprint. So uh, yeah, it definitely. I don't, I don't think timid is is the wrong word because they definitely held back a little bit in the beginning. It's pretty obvious, but the end is pretty explosive. So I I, I think that's the right word to use for it. Okay, I, I 
it wasn't it wasn't meant as an insult to the song. No, I I didn't so take I didn't take. You it know that what way. I'm saying? I knew, yeah, yeah, I knew exactly what you meant. That's yeah, because I felt the exact same way. Okay, we more paced with it. It was much more of a like you know. It, I don't want to say it was they were sound checking it again, but they were much more like getting their groove into where they were right. headed for the night and picked their pace up and their tempo and their feel and the vibe of it as it progressed along. But you, if you were to compare it to like versions that they were playing in 1992 and the couple of times that they played it in 1994, it's a different type of vibe going on when they were attacking it then. It was a much more electric moody driven song and this was trying to find a lot more space it's a pretty really good way to put it i mean this definitely wasn't speed wash at all um yeah it changes the way the song in particular has uh has changed from that time period is definitely has stood out uh but something that is impossible to ever sound timid uh was followed up here and it's go I want to I want to play go because we really haven't talked about go a lot or played go if we've talked about it. So, I want to play it, listen to it and then we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. So, here is go. talk about a lot and uh during the set list creation episode we uh talked about you know how we were going to really start the momentum of the show and we chose corduroy and i think for in a lot of people's minds it directly goes to corduroy uh when you think about starting picking up the momentum to start the show uh, you know and and i like when things are kind of changed up a little bit and i'll get to that later when when we do here quarter right here but i i think to really start a show and to get the crowd in a frenzy i think you want go if you're going for that that kind of momentum and we'll see here the next four or five songs really mesh so well together that i think go is the perfect thing to to kick it off yeah it definitely is because it sets the pace here like you said for the next four or five songs and I really have no notes for Go this week because I love the spot. Um, I, I like it early. As as long as Go isn't mid-set, I, I think I'll take it anywhere for the most part. Uh, so, yeah, really no notes for me. I thought it was, I thought it was killer. Yeah, this, this got the crowd revved up pretty quickly. I mean, it was like from note one, the, the entire floor started ex- just exploding in terms of energy. So... Um, it was a great spot for it. I've only caught it 
probably one other time being the second song of the the night um but i like it here it's 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 just such a, a big lift um and you come out of that slow burn open and it just it rocks by listening to it just by listening to it and you can tell when certain guys have on nights and when certain guys have off nights but you can tell right away that the energy was just coming from jeff just in this song it, it, did, did it feel that way did, did it feel like jeff really uh while you were hearing it live kind of stand out to begin with here i w- i would tell you that um a couple of nights in 2003 but for the most part these two shows that i saw in 2005 i felt like it was one of the first times i could really hear jeff Ament in the live mix in the arena because um, I just always felt like sometimes he would just get muffled into two to three guitars and drums, and it was often hard to pick him up on certain songs. But you, you could hear him audibly in the way that, you know, as a, someone who's a Who fan would used to hear uh, John Entwistle. I mean, he was just pounding the bass all night. Absolutely cuts through with the Who. Yeah, it's... it's uh, That was... He was almost like, an, almost like a second lead guitar in that band, and... I agree with both of you. Actually, I thought uh, in the next song was when Jeff was really coming through to me, and I I wrote him down, uh, citing him in another song coming up in my in my notes as we go along. But yeah, I agree. Jeff was mixed really well. He sounded awesome, full of energy, and uh, was definitely driving this this open. I mean, of course, they're bass heavy songs, but I think the mix makes a big difference. And and I agree. He he's either muffled or blended in or maybe he's just not playing that aggressively but on this night he was he was kind of right on top right from the beginning we've talked about really good mccready shows we've talked about really good stone shows i think this might be the first one where jeff is really gonna shine in this one and, the, and i'm i'm getting excited for it absolutely the the bass is a standout in a lot of songs uh, on this show i i noticed i listened to it a few times and Every single time, I was I felt like I heard the bass better each time, and of course, I hear the bass first. It doesn't matter when I'm listening to it because that's what I pick up on immediately. Being a bass player, but this one, uh, I was really focused in on it, and um, I just wanted to go back to something Patrick said earlier about how he felt this time period was really good for Stone. I thought this show in particular was really good for Stone. I'm really happy that you you said that because I picked up on that with this show in particular yeah it's it's it, it only gets better as this one goes on it, for him abs- absolutely that was a that was a good uh little teaser introduction that you gave uh because this is definitely a stone heavy show and it's fantastic we'll get into that one we'll get into it pretty quickly as we uh as we really move along this this again the first uh five songs after wash here are real killers that you know if you want songs to hear in the first couple that are just basically you don't want rare songs you don't want uh songs you haven't heard in a while you just want to hear pearl jam you want the best of their catalog i think that you can't really get much better than these five so coming off of go was hell hell and you know we talked about it a billion times we love hell hell in this spot here where it's it's just it's the pacer it is uh, blending in with from hard song to hard song, and I really f- thought that this energy early was just uh, 
it was really starting to resonate and you know you go from song to song here it's going to go into animal and i think those were two really perfect blenders for this little package of, of songs yeah i agree uh this is hail hail spot this is the spot i want to see it in every single time i don't think it has a better spot this is where i thought jeff was actually really coming through a lot he's got a great bass part but the, the one problem that I have with Hail Hail, and I, I think especially on this one, because ironically, because it's mixed so well, and guys, you got to listen to this to this bootleg because the bootleg is is amazing. So if you could, if you get the chance, listen to this one. It's very good. It's it's mixed very well. But what becomes very obvious is that this is a Jack Iron song to a T, and I, I I feel like Matt Cameron is always maybe a little bit behind tempo or a little late with it. And it doesn't click like how it does with Jack. When Jack played the song, it was one of the best performances you'd ever see. And I feel like Matt isn't quite getting the part. And it almost sounds like it throws Jeff's bass playing off a little bit because it's really, he plays along to the drums in the song. And if you don't have that great beat going that Jack Irons did, it makes it lag a little bit. Um, but that's that's really all I have for it. It's it's not even a huge complaint because it does sound good. It's it's just very much a Jack Iron song, and I, I think a lot of people know what we're talking about when we say that because we have mentioned that before. And the guys over at a uh, single podcast theory they've mentioned that before too. So I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. What do you guys think? Absolutely agree. I mean, I I loved hearing it. I love still hearing it all of the times that I've had the opportunity because I'm a huge No Code fan, but. Part of the reason I'm a huge No Code fan is I really do love Jack Irons, and he has just a groove on some of those songs, particularly on Hail Hail. That's hard to. It's been hard for uh, for, for Matt to replicate, and that's ridiculous for me to say because I'm just a fan, and Matt Cameron is an incredible drummer. Absolutely, uh, yeah, not yeah. taking away from it all, but you, nope. you know, there's there's just a, a a difference between the styles, and I've always preferred the way that Jack attacks it. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with that. Um, look, I the three, the big three of their drummers throughout their history, uh, you know, Cruzan and, and uh, Chamberlain notwithstanding, uh, I've always felt like Matt has had to lift himself to levels that aren't necessarily in his wheelhouse when he's had to imitate Jack. And when he's had to imitate Abrazzese, he has, he's reached those levels, but he's also, he's not as flashy as, as he was. Uh, but in, in my eyes, I, I, I always feel like hell, hell with Matt. It's, it's not bad, but it's just a little basic. I thought that, that Jack put a little extra effort into it, especially in the beginning. You kind of hear that those hard pounding toms in those, in the beginning. And that's kind of his specialty. Uh, while Matt is way more of a symbol-heavy kind of guy. 100%. And I think a good example of this is, um, was it Letterman that they did Hail Hail on? Yeah. Watch that, everybody. It's it's really, really good, and it's the perfect example of Jack Irons destroying the song, and, and it's what it's supposed to sound like. And again, Patrick, like you said, I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt Cameron or say he's uh, any less of a drummer because he's one of my all-time favorite drummers. There are just some you know, certain things, and, and this goes across a lot of bands where someone else will join in, and 
it's just not exactly the same. It doesn't mean it's not good. It's just not the same. And that's, that's, I think all we're trying to say. Yeah. And the good news is, is Matt's going to shine pretty heavily later on. <laughs> A few times I thought, yeah, definitely. I, I think we have to kind of say it the other way as well, that if Jack were in the same role that Matt is in now, if, if Matt uh, had recorded on no code and yield, we would be sitting here saying, well, Jack can't really reach or, or, you know, let, let's be realistic here. What if Matt left the band today and Jack had to play stuff from Riot Act or Binaural, he would really have, you know, he would have a really tough time playing stuff like You Are and um, God's Dice, just stuff that really makes Matt shine. Or, uh, or we could say, um, if you if, if it was the first way you said, where what if Matt was first and then Jack Irons, we might be saying... That'd be a little strange. It would, but we, we might be saying something like, oh man, you, you know, this Hail Hail, this Jack Irons guy, he's too groovy. He's got too much groove. Because <laughs> that, that would be how we, we know the song, but... Yeah, it you know it, you're only as good as your last, you know, as the original. Yeah, you have uh, Matt kind of had a uh, a plateau he had to reach, and you know a lot of people, you know, it's not that they don't like Matt again. It's that um, you know it's just different styles that you're used to, you know, listening to on the album for years and years and years, and then you go live and you can kind of see these differences, and that's you know sort of where. I like that you can appreciate, you can still appreciate Jack, even if his presence isn't there uh, with something like this. And same, same with Dave. Uh, all right, keeping keeping on pace here is another one that I love back to back with Hail Hail. It's Animal, and again, ideal opener. There's usually no bad version of the song, and it's a fairly safe bet to put it in every two or three shows or so. You you don't want to. You don't want to hear it every night. If you're if you're on tour in Canada and you do twelve or thirteen shows and you hear it four nights, I think that's pretty that's pretty good. It, it doesn't spoil the song too much because I can see it, if you're hearing it like eight of those twelve nights, I I, I would get a little tired of it. Uh, I think it would be a little tiring, especially playing it in the spot. But um, to me, uh, this was really the first time that I noticed the crowd at all. And we were kind of talking about the mix yesterday, Patrick, uh, but, uh, Ed kind of stops, uh, at the end and you can hear the crowd, you know, it's not that I didn't think the crowd wasn't in it, but you really ha hear the crowd on that. I'd rather be with an animal part. And you could say, Oh, they're here. Cool. I am listening to a live show. Yeah. They definitely, uh, the experience of being in the venue is a little bit different than the bootleg. I, I don't know if they were just audibly, pulling back on the audience mics that they had at certain times. I would have to imagine that is the case. And then just plugging them up when there were times where um, they were looking for, you know, when, when Ed was looking to the audience to, to help out and fill. Um, but this, that is one of the, the first times you really pick it up. You hear some subtle things here and there across the first few songs, but that's the first time that you get a big presence of them. It really does sound, and I wonder if they had plans to do something with this Canadian tour, like, a, you know, a live on... I think this is one of the best bootlegs that we've heard so far. It, it's it's a phenomenal sound. Like, this really sounds like they can put a record together with, with uh, this Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And, I completely agree. And, you know, there's a lot of things. We, we had talked about it, Patrick, that uh, people 
from the Canadian tour. There's somebody that wrote a book uh, about it called uh, The All-Encompassing Trip. Uh, and you, you told me yesterday somebody filmed kind of a documentary following him around the country, too. Yeah, they, I mean, it was happening. I don't know where it is. I don't know if they ever got the ability to put it together, but I know that there was uh, people that were following them that were actually filming everything as it was going on, and just from an, an audience, like, parking lot, crowd perspective type of thing. Right, and, I, you know, that kind of brings in some perspective on, on how important this tour was, uh, and, you know, it just leads me to wonder if they were, e even if it was kind of in the back of their minds, like, okay, maybe we use this for something in the future. Do we put out another live on two legs type album? But, um, uh, as far as, as far as I know, I don't think anything came to, to really be with that. Um, but again, great mix. This is, this is one I would absolutely encourage everybody to go out and listen to somehow if, if you can, and proper bootleg, if you want to, you know, go out and buy it, uh, you know, or, or beg us, maybe we'll, We'll send it to you. Who knows? I, no, go go out, go out and support the band <laughs> and purchase it. Uh, if, if you know what, if you want to donate to our Patreon, maybe we'll send it to you as a gift. I like that. I like <laughs> that. That's a fantastic idea. Uh, all right, so we're moving here, and and again, you know, we're at the tail end of this this really meaty section of awesome, fast paced heavy songs, and when we're talking fast paced and heavy. Uh, I, this is literally my favorite song in the band's history, uh, brain of Jay. And I think out of all the versions that we've heard, I, I've been trying to think of what my favorite version is that I've heard so far. This might be it. This is such great, fast, tight. Uh, it blends in with the energy that they used for the previous three. And I, man, I was blown away by it. And I, I thought that, you can't get much better than than how it's originally played, but this this was phenomenal. Yeah, you know, it sounded good, and I felt the same way with Animal that I did with Brain of Jay here, and it's that they, they're not showing off, and they're not doing anything flashy. They're playing the song, and that's what's making this a, a fantastic rock and roll show. It's because they're 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 just playing the songs. You know what I mean? It's like they're not going over the top. They're not trying to uh, go too crazy too early. They're just playing the damn songs and they sound phenomenal. It, it just, it felt natural. These uh, Animal and Brain of Jay specifically together. They just felt really natural. They felt like they were in the zone, in the pocket, and they didn't have to do anything flashy. It was really crisp. I agree with that. Super I crisp. agree with that. It just it, like, it felt like they were all on, on pace with each other, that they all kind of, without... Without seeing what what the other one was doing, they they all kind of had this sensory idea of you know this this is where we're going with this, and they were all feeling each other early. There was didn't seem any equipment problems, nothing like that. So, I, exactly. yeah, I, I mean, phenomenal. I I got I got nothing else because I'm just blown away on how good it was. Yep, I had no notes on Brain of Jay. I just love it. It's one of my favorites, and uh, was you know, so stoked to be able to hear it again. And, um, I thought it was just, you know, as you guys said, it just rocked and it just felt great. That's one where you see early and you say <laughs> like, what the hell are we in for, for the rest of this night? Absolutely. I, I got a, I got a good story to tell you guys about the first time I ever saw brain of Jay and it's me crying for the next 10 minutes. So I won't tell it. <laughs>
Because I've never seen it before. Because he's never seen it before. Ah, get it? Uh, So, okay. This uh, right here ends this little section that we've been talking about for the next couple, last couple of minutes. Um, and it's corduroy. And I actually, you know, it kind of puts a bow on everything because we, I had mentioned our set list creation episode where we kind of kicked off this section with corduroy. It's not that much different besides a mind your manners and severed hand, which aren't, don't exist at this point. But I like corduroy ending the momentum here instead of beginning the momentum. I think it was a really, it was a really thrifty way to use the song and kind of it, it allowed it to go forward and change. They can do whatever they wanted to with the next song. Uh, they can go in a faster direction. They can kind of go in a more mellow direction. We'll talk about that in a second, but really Man, it was just it capped off such a great section that it allowed it allowed the band kind of a, a bigger canvas to do to do more with. I agree, fifty percent. Okay, I really hate this spot, but it's it's really funny because what I wrote was the end of the song, the jam, is such a good ender to this you know first part of the set it, you don't get better it was written to to bring you into the next phase of a set the problem is the entire beginning of the song i really don't i don't like it coming that late you know it's like i almost wish they could have broken it apart and done the beginning of corduroy and then done like medleys and then ended <laughs> like the medley with like a quarter with the ending of corduroy because That's- because it would have wrapped it up so well, and it did. It did. It's just the first, you know, two two and a half minutes that I felt I didn't like in this spot. You know, the, the per, per, performance of the song. I didn't have a problem with the performance outside of uh, the slight slurred speech that that Ed was was uh, singing with. I, right. I, I I actually thought it was. It felt a little rushed. I thought this was the one song in this whole grouping that. Uh, I thought they were rushing just a little bit. I think they got super excited, which I don't know how you couldn't. The the beginning of the set was just so freaking fantastic. But I'm wondering if they fell behind a little bit just because, yeah, the the first the 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 first group of four songs like they're really fast and intense that you're not sitting there and talking to the crowd. So Eddie has to, you know, he has to kind of catch back up really quickly. It's it's going on his sprint versus marathon. Just uh, you know, having played in front of people before when you're on a roll and you're in a zone and you're playing a lot of really upbeat songs sometimes you're you just get really excited and sometimes songs will like how we say will start to kind of get away from you that was not the case here it wasn't starting to get away from them i thought i thought it was just a little rushed i thought they rushed through it just a little bit but yeah don't like the beginning um in this spot love the outro in this spot yeah the only thing i i i I love this song live with the outro that they would take in 95 and 96. (laughs) Um, And that's the only thing that I can really ding on it is I would love to even hear that, that outro even extend a little bit more um, on this one. Um, But the one thing that I, in retrospect, listening to this now compared to some of the later years, it's funny because it seems, 
I listen to it and I'm like, this is a better pace for me <laughs> um, in terms of how it sounds. Because I think in, in some of the later years, it got so heavy and so, so quick that it almost turned into like a, you know, three minute and 50 second song versus a four and a half to five minute song that it is on Vitology. Yep. So I, I like them. I'm with you on the outro piece. I, I could have even taken a little bit more. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think this is Corduroy's a song that cannot be rushed. I completely agree. I think one of the things that uh, that we talked about when we were doing uh, Vitalogy era tours was um, that it started off really slow and and it didn't materialize. It felt like those, at least from what we heard of Corduroy and Matt, you were super super critical about those versions. Uh, that it just didn't mesh yet it, it felt like it was either too slow or it was not not there for the pacing I, I felt like this pacing was really good and i get what you what you're saying before patrick that now if they do it sometimes they will try to bust through it completely and um I, i'm not i'm not into that as as long as we get a good outro jam on this and we've heard i think 10 10-minute versions of Corduroy, whatever they do with Corduroy nowadays with the chanting and, you know, the the double bridge, uh, uh, double time singing the bridge, it's it's become so different. But, um, you know, just a lot, of, a lot of changes within the song throughout the years. So that kind of right there, I think that, I think it's a little nitpicky to, to mention that he was slurring his speech and not pronunciating like we would, you know, want him to, but... It's sort of the things that you hear if you're listening to a full boot like a week and you got to cover it. So that's <laughs> that's what we're that's what we're uh, putting down here. Um, all right, so this kind of starts out the next section here, and uh, we start Im- immortality. They don't really talk beforehand. He might say good e- good evening or something like that, but I didn't write it here. And uh, we're gonna play immortality, and then we're gonna kind of talk about its placement a little bit because. Um, while the performance is great and it usually is great, uh, I do have a little bit of issue with it being in this spot. So let's listen to it. Then we'll talk about it. So 
to come from Corduroy into Immortality to me, I it's not my favorite. I think it, it's it, and maybe it could be the matter of being used to Immortality in a certain spot where it's in between Evenflow and the end of the first set, or maybe right after Evenflow, but that's really where I love the song. Um, and I think where you get the most out of the song, where it can kind of feel like a cooldown without having to be a cooldown here. I don't know if the intention is is for it to be a cooldown, but I, I don't know if they were ready for a cooldown yet. I think... You know, the next song being in hiding, I think would have would have followed up uh, Corduroy just as well, um, and would have kind of continued on the momentum. I didn't think Immortality into in hiding did him any favors, so to say. Yeah, I agree completely. The uh, okay, it, it it's such a pace change, and the outro of Corduroy into the intro of Immortality, it doesn't feel good. It feels out of place and it feels really awkward, but that's all I'm going to say because Immortality is a song that I'm happy to have, and yeah, I don't like it here at all, but it sounded fantastic, and I I want it. When I, when I go see him, I want to see the song, so I, I can't be too critical of it. Uh, I, I, yeah, but I, I'm with you. I'm, everything, that, everything that you said, I agree with. Um, but again, happy to have it. Yeah, I might have, I might have preferred they go right into in hiding here. Um, I enjoyed this version of immortality, despite um, Ed's uh, forgetting his lyrics for a moment there. Um, but uh, the the music is great. But the one thing that I've always felt about this song is it is so good, and they do such a big build up to it that it always has felt to me like, why don't they use this to close a set or close an encore one and really use that, that, you know, that heavy build and, and break to, to do just a little bit more of a, of a lift at a different time in the set. This is a lot of times, typically for this time period, you know, you would find it, it is like sixth, seventh or eighth. I mean, that's just where it was. Um, I think maybe one time, I caught them, and I, maybe it was Jones Beach where it ended the the main set, and it was great. Um, and that, that I think they just it's it's an underused uh, great asset for their their set building. I think they use it in, in a strange way. It's yeah. interesting that you say you would like to hear it to close an encore or something like that. Um, and I'm just trying to envision how how it could sound in, in my mind. And I, I'm sort of, you know, I, I, for the last minute or so, I've sort of gone back to saying that you can do a live into immortality and then finish with indifference. And I think that would sound really good without, I, I feel like if you close a whole show or even a set with immortality, I feel like there's still something there. It's, there's no finality to it, uh, but maybe putting it, with indifference feels like it will mesh so well together. I, you know, I, I don't know if that's just me, but no, I agree with both of you actually. Uh, yeah, no, I would take it either way. Um, it's such a beautiful song and Patrick, I think, I think a big issue I have with this, with this show, which, uh, is really the only issue I have with this show is I feel like there are a lot of songs that are underutilized that, 
should be making huge impacts and 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 some huge splashes in some few in in a few spots and i think i think they're misplaced and they're underutilized and i think this is the first example of that uh in my notes so very strange very strange yeah uh i i i you know i think immortality definitely is a strong enough song to head up another section uh whether it is you know starting momentum or coming off of even flow and continuing momentum or uh if you want to put it in the encore sure and that's not something that i feel we see too often so it, it should be it. a little more yeah it should be a little <laughs> more diverse than than it actually is but you know again that's not you know matt matt said it it's not knocking the song this has always been a top five song for me so you know i'll i'm very very happy to have it in class every single time so yes. uh ed gets on the mic and he says that they are taking care of a couple requests tonight including the next song and that's where we get in hiding and um there's something that's really that hit me really nicely about this version it it, it might be coming off of that uh that same brain of jay vibe where it was just crisp it felt like everybody was together it felt like uh everything kind of swung in their favor for this uh you know and and the high the the high point of uh hearing and hiding live to us was always going to be vic theater but this is this is this is reaching up there it's not it's not a vic theater level just because of the impact that song had at that night but man this version sounds terrific yeah now again i don't like the placement here i don't like it after immortality and i don't really it should like have it. followed corduroy you know i don't again this is another one where i think it's underutilized. it's not utilized properly i think these sing scream alongs that are performed wonderfully like here i mean you're right this it sounded it sounded great um it's just not it, it should be saved it should be properly utilized by the band and by the crowd and and i wasn't getting that here even though it was uh, I'm not saying you know the the participation, everything, the the reaction, the band, everything was fantastic. Um, but I uh, I feel like there's a bigger payoff if there's more of a build up to it. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a song where I always felt like it could be the almost the last song before, or you know, the penultimate song of of a set before they close the set, not close the set with it, but lead into a closer. Um, cause it just, it big builds, it picks up energy. And then if you go in, especially if you're going to choose like a hard hitting end of set song, that's where I feel like it would be, it, you'd get your, your most bang for your buck from it in terms of the experience. But I also, I agree with Randy cause I, it, it's sort of a chameleon of a song. I mean, it, you could put it anywhere because you know, it's going to hit with the crowd anywhere it goes, but I, I think what's what's killing it for me is that it was after immortality and I thought immortality was poorly placed and you know me I'm big on not just a single song placement I'm I go a lot with what's before and after it too uh, and I I, I got to see if it's thrown out of out of whack or out of place because of of that and yeah I think immortality was kind of like a like a stick in the spokes a little bit here but. It sounded great, so I I'm just gonna stop stop complaining about it. 
I, you know, now now that you mentioned something, I'm I'm looking at the next handful of songs here, and I'm, I'm kind of saying, is this is this really the the best utilization of what they could have done? Um, uh, well, I, I might have to I might have to step in and say no, and I might have to say that listening to this, it might be a lot, or it, it might be some of the worst placement of songs that we have seen while also being played the best we've heard so far it's really oh they're flawless they're They're all flawless they're pretty flawless but the placement is kind of janky so here here we are and uh we're about to get into a live on four legs debut but not just a live on four legs debut this is a a full band debut this is the first time that they're ever going to play this song out of the 13 times that they played it uh stone gets on the mic because Stone has to get on the mic, and he says, "You guys been asking for it." He's and so happy too. He seems, yeah. He, you can you can tell he has like a glow to him. Patrick, I'm so glad you brought all this up with Stone because Stone, he's so happy, and I I loved listening to this part. Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, this is also when he was uh, he was bearded Stone as well, so it was great. Mm. And he had like, the scruff going on. I I, wa- I was wondering if he was able to ever grow facial hair i I, th- I thought he just gave it all to jeff thought he kind of looked like me right you have to you have to try to grow a beard for about six to eight years before it gets nice and full he probably woke up one morning and said hey guys i haven't uh i haven't shaved since uh recording 10 yeah that's that's me in a nutshell <laughs> so stone says he's waiting so long to to speak to to, to you guys and since so they're going to play a song called Don't Give Me No Lip, which they haven't played since they've been in the studio, uh, I believe this was, if I'm not mistaken, this was a binaural uh, outtake. Uh, no code. And it was a no code outtake. Okay. Uh, so everything that Stone has to sing has to be on no code. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> uh, He's regulated so, to that. Yeah. Uh, but. And, uh, Stone is saying that he actually had to teach the song to Ed earlier, so I wonder if you would have stayed to hear this in sound check. If you get a little bit of of Stone being like, "Okay, not not like this, but like this." Remember from literally nine years ago, the last time we played this song. So, yeah. and uh, also, also, Randy, I'm glad you brought that up. How you know you would have gone running out saying, "Oh, you have no idea what we're going to get tonight." <laughs> if you heard it. But, I would have been the first um, one. You know, it's 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 a good thing because Stone says he had to teach Eddie how to play the song again, and I mean, you know how they do it; they'll they'll sound check some stuff, and if they don't feel like it's working in sound check, they might eighty six it for the night, and mm-hmm. that sound check might have been a big a big factor on, on whether or not they add it to the set. And you could have been running out there in, in excitement, saying, "What you know," and then th- you get in and they don't play it, and everyone looks at you like you're a you know a jerk for getting everyone's hopes up. Yeah, that's. Uh, I can't remember what they they sound checked this past year, but it was something super super rare that I think it might have been. You know what? I, I'm thinking when they sound check in Chicago with Evil Little Goat. Uh, yes. Or you know what? It would they put Evil Little Goat on the first night set list, crossed it off, and played it the second night. So a lot of people were really like, "What the hell is that doing here? That shouldn't that shouldn't be here." Uh, and then they ended up doing it. So it's, it's a little bit of a different situation, but, um, anyway, let's, let's hear it for the first time for their first time for our first time. Don't give me no lip. 
I think that was the first live version I had ever seeked out and listened to. I don't think I've ever listened to them doing it live in the uh, 12 other times that they've done it since. And man, this is a lot better than I thought it would be. And especially on the first go of it. Um, now, as far as vocals go, I was telling you this yesterday. I think that Stone has a lot more energy and a lot more to offer when he sings this rather than when he sings Mankind. I think sometimes when he sings Mankind, it gets a little, with eh, Ovaltine, like Listerine, and, and it gets a little boring, but this, there's like it's so much confidence. More, there's Yeah, Mankind's a little bit more uh, monotone, and he, he can't really project, I think, and it makes it sound lame maybe question mark yeah that's it brings out kind of dorky i don't want to say, don't want to say lame but yeah it's a little uh you know a little he's got to do a little bit of walking and chewing gum at the same time exactly. on that one with, especially with the the way he's got the chord progression set up on that i mean you watch him play that and you're like what are you i mean that is you you've gone into a direction that is making life more difficult so you know the thing is about this with i don't know if it's been this way for the other times they've played it but this night, no guitar. He's just up at the mic all alone, and and Ed's got the guitar doing the um, the rhythm part. I love how he cues him. You know, uh, Eddie Bridge, Bridge Eddie Baby Bridge. bridge. <laughs> that sounds good. So I mean, yeah, uh, I thought this sounded fucking awesome. I loved it, and I you you couldn't tell that it was their first time playing it, and uh you couldn't tell that Eddie had just learned it at least I couldn't on the the times I listened maybe he wasn't perfect but I thought it was awesome but again this song is so fun and so poppy and it is so stone that I feel like it was wasted here I feel like this should have been that's what out I was towards the end and like, uh, like yeah you know, like do you think end of first set do you think I I think it should have stayed in the first set I just think this was a little too early and I think the rest of the set was was played so well, and they're so freaking tight that a surprise like this towards the end would have been so much fun. Even even right after even flow, I think would have been really nice because I think every time you kind of get after even flow, you're kind of like, all right, well that's that that's your you know dedicated halfway point. So here's a couple of songs that they kind of go through here, but it would have threw a whole new wrench into the game if it was right after even flow and then you're kind of saying okay even flow and then oh crap they did don't don't give me no lip but after that now it's anybody's game it, you know anything can be played here um you know why it would have worked after even flow really well too is because even flow gets crazy and it's this event of a song on stage and then if you could stop after even flow where the crowd is just on this crazy high and you could have Stone come up and make some jokes and talk to the crowd. It's a perfect icebreaker. I agree with that. Yeah, no, because this was really the first time they, they really talked at all. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, a good baseball reference for this, and I think I got one. It's kind of like when you're debuting your top prospect. He's maybe like the number one or number two prospect in baseball, and he's making his debut middle of July because, you know, the Mets are ravaged with injuries. Patrick's a Mets fan, by the way, Matt. <laughs> oh, killer. Yes. Well, so, I mean, it, it all depends on your point of view, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say you didn't choose it, it chose you. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, so, 
say, you know, Mets don't have any top prospects as of this moment. So, so say Tim Tebow was their top prospect and uh, was the number two prospect in baseball. And uh, he is debuting on, on the roster in like mid, mid-July after the All-Star break, but they're hitting him seventh. Like, you're kind of saying, well, okay, I get it, because there are other, other players in the lineup that, you know, obviously you have more experience and you just kind of want to see what you have of them before you can really put them in spot. But, man, these are songs, not players. Be confident. Be confident with these songs, because, man, uh, don't give me no lip when three for three with at least a double and a couple RBIs here. Yeah, I think that this probably went off better than their wildest dreams. You would almost think that they had been, you know, studio rehearsing this pre-tour and then sound checking it every night the way it pulled off. Um, not that they just kind of, hey, let's let's do it because you know here's how it's going to work out and here's. I, I just don't think that they were even ready to think that it was going to work out. You know, they they went for it and it worked out way better than they could possibly imagine. Yeah, I thought th- I thought they nailed it. I thought it was great. I'm very surprised that you know from that point they didn't say, okay, well maybe we can add it in as much as we add in down or add in sad uh, or something like that. It, it it's only been played 13 times. We haven't seen it since Wrigley 2016. So a lot of people are probably still on the hunt for it, and maybe it's just kind of the the specialty. You know, that Stone is singing, and, and, you know, you want that to be a special moment every night, um, and you don't want to bring it in every single night. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, and that's where you kind of have mankind to sort of split the difference with that. If, if Stone's going to sing, it's usually going to be mankind. So, um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's time to bring it back a little more often and kind of let mankind sit out for a couple games. Um, I love the kinks and this has such a kinks vibe to it. And it really does. Yeah. And I, the thing that I think most about when I hear this song was boy, and I, and I like mankind and I'm a big fan of no code, but I wish this stayed and maybe mankind got replaced by it. Cause it's just got such a more intense, fun vibe to it. I agree. Yeah. Imagine, imagine don't give me no lip in between in my tree and smile. I think that would have really meshed well. Would that have worked for everybody else? I, I, I could take it anywhere on no code. <laughs> I, I, I'm in. So from rarest track at the time, essentially rarest track, you can't get much more rare than uh, never been played before to the least rare track in their catalog. Uh, you're going into even flow. And I, I, although it's not built, the way that I would have built it, um, don't give me no lip. Definitely drove so much momentum that uh, you know, with the excitement, the first time it ever it was ever played, that I feel like even flow did something pretty rare, and it was able to kind of blend in momentum and follow a momentum instead of change momentum. And I, I think that uh, you know, I think people. We're probably at the time saying if even flows on, then you know I'm gonna take a break or I'm gonna go get another beer or something like that. I feel like that this probably persuaded them to stay and enjoy the show a little more. I don't know if I'm on the same page with anybody here. I mean, it sounded fantastic. 
But momentum-wise, did you think that? I would say just visually being there, the, the band was visually jacked up after Don't Give Me No Lip. Um, and this is one of the few times I think I've seen uh, Even Flow at basically every show that I've gone to except for the one bridge school show that I've been to. And I love it. And I, I'm there all in to, to see just because you never know what, what Mike is going to pull out of his hat. Um, but this was one of the better ones um, that I've caught. Um, and it, it wasn't just Mike. The whole band sort of elevated themselves midway through the, the jam. And this is one of the ones where there's a point in time where, where Jeff and Matt take this to a whole nother level. Um, and it was just a, it was a fun listen. Yeah, they do. The, the rhythm section goes off on this one. And I noticed my second time listening through, I was uh, listening with headphones and you could hear it throughout basically the whole show but on this one stone is loud uh, stone's mix is really cutting through he'll be in your uh right earbud if you guys listen through headphones so you'll be able to pick him out right away he's got a great great mix on this show yeah i look um the song sounded fantastic and i think uh you know you sort of get into that wheelhouse after a while it's just kind of like you know when you're listening to it too okay it's even flow and it's hard to spot the differences, but you can tell that the energy, you know, like, like Patrick was saying, that the energy was brought into uh, even flow from Don't Give Me No Lip, because I think the band probably surprised itself that they were able to pull it off, especially, you know, just learning it again in, in soundcheck that, uh, okay, now we're going to go into something really familiar, and now we can go back into... Uh, less having to worry about something and then more back into kicking ass. And I, I, I thought it just worked and flowed so well with everything else that they were doing. Uh, Randy, actually to answer your question before I, I am kind of thinking about it uh, a little differently now. So I think, I think I could answer it better or I wasn't really able to answer it at all before, but after don't give me no lip into even flow. Yeah, I think you're right. It was like, this super surprise of a song and stone sings and it's a lot of fun. They kind of joke around beforehand and then they go right into even flow. So it's like, Whoa, that was super rare. I can't believe it. And then even flow. And it's like, Oh, cool. All right. This is, this is cool. You know? Right. It's a, if it was given a fly into even flow, if it was elderly woman into even flow, yeah. you would have been like, this is par for the course. It, I've yes. seen it before. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good even flow is in this situation. It's, you know, it's the situation in itself. It, it feels generic. Ed says it's starting to feel like a Friday night. And this is the first time they've ever played nothing but Canadian dates in a row. And Ed says he loves being up there. It's beautiful, civilized. They should be proud that their ideals should be intact. Uh, but time for criticism. They've had to travel long and far in between cities. The country is so fucking big. Let's discuss your roads and highways. As if they put together from Seattle to Toronto in two and ten foot sections. In the middle, there must be a space between because every ten feet is cuckook, cuckook, cuckook. <laughs> Says if you're in a van or on a bus, it feels like you're on a train. But there is company from America called Halliburton <laughs> that can help you out. <laughs> And man, it's been a long time since I've heard the word Halliburton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, oh, wait, they're down in New Orleans and starts trashing Bush. Uh, 
and says so the, the next song is about Halliburton and greed, but um, yeah, been a long time since I thought about Halliburton, but uh, that's pretty much all of Canada. The, the the only road, you know, they have one road through Canada, but it, it, like you were saying to me yesterday, Patrick, that it gets really cold up there, so uh, what was it that you were saying exactly? I believe it has to be an engineering thing, because it is an absolutely true statement. The the road is built in like 15 or 20 foot sections and there's a gap between each section and you drive that from Montreal to Ottawa and the entire time it's gagunk, gagunk, gagunk. <laughs> it's like you're on a train. It just, yeah. I, Maybe I, it's like a traction I, thing or something? Yeah, I don't know. I, we're going to have to get one of the Canadian bands to, to chime in on this one because I, I, I don't know. The Canadian roadways. I, yeah. I, I drove. I drove through Toronto recently, like about a year ago, and then I don't think. Uh, I don't think I had any issue where I was concocting all that time, or Halbert didn't show up either, which which was <laughs> was quite the nice surprise. Uh, but it does kind of say. I, I said yesterday, like uh, I was making the South Park reference. Uh, There's only one road in Canada. Follow the only road. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah that, that that sounds like a whole lot of fun to do a tour that way uh you know not not that i wouldn't go to a Can- canadian show but i would definitely stick to the roadways in america uh if that's the case so like we were saying um halliburton and greed and uh the song this next song was pretty much uh written for places like Halliburton and uh, for Greed, because uh, they spell out the damn word in the song. So, uh, Green Disease. And it's funny because, uh, you know, Lost Dogs Notwithstanding, the last album, full studio album that they uh, uh, had produced at this time was was Riot Act. And this is the only song off Riot Act uh, on this whole entire show. So that's that's kind of interesting that uh, that they would do that because even you know later years of Backspacer they would still play you know Unthought Known got some Fixer and all those songs kind of spliced in here and there but um, to get Green Disease and not like an I Am Mine or a Save You or any of that stuff I, th- I think that's that's kind of interesting but uh, this is the third week in a row that we're discussing it and again something isn't exactly perfect it sounds tight but the verses sound really palm muted and it i don't know if it takes away the grittiness of the song but it feels like a weird transition from chorus to verse but the chorus sounds so dead fucking odd that this is definitely my favorite of the three versions that we've heard the last three weeks yeah uh this is this is the closest we've gotten it is very, very close to exactly how I want the song to sound live. Um, it's not perfect, but the choruses are dead on. And it's because in this version, the verses and the pre-choruses really build up the tension that you want to that kind of... It's got like a... like a um, Almost like a Who, Beatles, Beach Boysy kind of chorus. It's really super catchy and it's poppy and... But it it needs a really good tension builder in the verses and the and the pre-chorus, and I think this version has that, and the other ones that we covered the last two weeks didn't quite 
hit the mark the way that this one did. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, the, the, for, as a song overall, I, I enjoyed this much more in the studio version. Um, and I've, I've caught it a few times live. This is probably one of the better times that I've caught it live. Um, and then to, to your point, uh, Randy, overall, this was like, uh, this is a, a low riot act tour, not even just this night. They really did not bring much of riot act back. I mean, it was a couple of times playing this a couple of times, love boat captain. I am mine here and there, but, uh, that was mostly it for this, uh, for the Canadian tour. They didn't really go into any of the other deeper tracks at all. Which is interesting because you would think maybe, maybe at this time, you know, they weren't doing Bush Leaguer as much because uh, I think they were probably really sick of talking about him. And, and probably after the whole vote for change stuff, they uh, decided, screw it, we're, we're just going to ignore him and, uh, and, and move on and, and hope things get better. But, um, you know, I, I would have expected that they would would have moved on with Bush Leaguer and played it more until he was out of office, but they didn't seem to, they just seemed to ignore it at this time. And, and as for the other songs on, on the album, man, there's, there's so many weird deep tracks and I'm, I'm not surprised that for a tour like this, they just didn't go back to stuff like help, help and uh, get right. And, you know, ones on a uh, crop duster and ghost and, and songs on on that level uh it wouldn't have worked if if every show was kind of like this show uh those songs in particular wouldn't work uh you know to me but you know again save you love boat captain you are i am mine thumbing my way in instances would have probably all have been in the set and happy to hear them here so uh uh, moving on to binaural, I believe, I believe there was one other binaural song played tonight, uh, but I will have to check up on that. Um, the backup vocals on this, dude, it's in insignificance, um, dude, unbelievable, right? The backup vocals are kicking ass. I wrote, sounds great. Backup Vox are kicking ass. Awesome. I think it's, is it stone? I think it's stone, right? Is it stone or is it Matt? I thought it was Matt. I, see, I my initial thought was it was Stone. See, Stone's a little, a little more, uh, you know, he's got like a nasal to him, and right, Matt's, Matt's a little bit more smooth. This was really smooth, but this was really smooth. You're I, right. It I just, couldn't tell. My recollection was this was the the first tour that he really started picking up a lot of background vocals. Um, so I have to my my assumption is it was matt um because he had only picked up a little bit of the stuff that he you know songs that he wrote in binaural and was here and there but this is the tour that he you know began gradually taking over mm -hmm. um basically you know the lead backup vocals on a lot of songs and that makes sense because really avocado was was him backing up pretty much the whole way uh but whoever well, i i I'm not surprised if on a second listen, I listen to it and I say, okay, that's obviously mad. But I feel like it was so unexpected to hear that melody, like chime in there that it, it was, it, there was a little tingle of, of just it like was, sheer joy. 
It was awesome. Yeah. It sounded so um, good. Since Okay. You know what? Since we're kind of, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible here. Since we're, we're talking about it, we can't just say we love something so much <laughs> and not play it. So just give a little sample of yeah. like that, that, like in that first verse where he kind of comes in and it really blends in together so nicely. Just, just play that part and then we'll, we'll get back to what we're going on here. Definitely. All in all, it's no one's fault. Excuses turn to carbon walls. Blame it all on chemical intercourse. The swallowed seeds of arrogance. Breathing in the thoughts of ten thousand fools. If I This is, uh, you know, outside of the amazing backup vocals that we just listened to. Uh, you're welcome, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this is pretty much the spot that you expect to hear in this song, uh, mid-first set, post-even flow, and uh, I'm not really sure where else it could work. If the stars aligned, I guess you could throw it in for an encore if used correctly, but uh, it would have to be in a special scenario. And this was, you know, the backup vocals, again, made this version amazing uh but i can't it, it's not uh it's not as uh as usable as other songs are and i, I feel that way about a lot of final songs to be honest with you yeah me too but i think with this one here i i think i like the spot i'm still deciding it, it all depends on whether i like it after green disease whether i like it what's coming up next but again yeah like like you said i don't know where else it would go happy to have it I like hearing it, but um, it's a little bit of a uh, a toss in sometimes, and I, I'm getting that that vibe here. Even though it was played uh, beautifully, it's uh, just a little a little tough to place sometimes. Yeah, my my only thing with this song is that I've always like deep down inside felt like I want to hear Stone even go more on the solo. More, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, I'm like cognizant of the fact, like, okay, can't do this on on ten, not for this band. You can't have like ten songs that just expand every night and go really, yeah. really elongated. But this one has always had that vibe where it could stretch uh, and be an experience, and you hear him noodle a little bit on it. And I just like one time want to hear, you know, that six and a half to seven minute version of it, insignificance, sure. but. You know, it's it's funny because I went through this thing for for years where I was I was in one boat and I felt like there wasn't really I felt like there should have been a boat where either you were a fan of grievance or you were a fan of insignificance <laughs> and I was a really big fan of grievance instead of because grievance I feel like had more to play off of I th I thought that it should have been their single off the album instead of nothing as it seems it should have the two singles off the album should have been that and thin air. I don't know what, the, what they were thinking, but, um, I, it, it just, after a while, I kind of got over that, uh, the idea of like, maybe they were the same ish sounding song, except like grievance was, uh, had a little more rhythm to it while, uh, insignificance had a little more melody, but they kind of, they kind of mesh well together. I don't. I don't know if, if you guys get that vibe of that they're very similar. I do, and and if you remember, I I, I think I I had them both on my 
league team because I was like, well, I got to hit with one of them at some point, right? And <laughs> nope. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. I I wanted them because I, well, I thought that would have been a good strategy, which it wasn't. And um, because, no, I, I do really like both of those songs. They are they are similar, but. A lot of I songs in the set, Insignificance and Immortality and In Hiding and I Got Shit. Good transition between the two songs that I, I, I don't think I would have expected to sound good because they're two completely different songs. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I, I didn't really overthink this one. I thought I thought it was it was fine. Uh, you know, it's in around the same spot of the set that usually is and it had good flow and tight and energetic. Yeah, I, I didn't really think too much of it either, mostly because it's it's really not doing anything for me, unfortunately. And I, I, I do love the song. It's almost as though shit and insignificance here, one following the other, when they're paired, they f- they're coming off as fillers in the set. And I didn't really think much of it because I kind of easily forgot about them being there. Uh, and that kind of pains me to say because I, I like them both, but... And it's not, you know, it's that's kind of a, a very loose feeling for it that they were well, they felt the, fillery. So it's it's just like an afterthought. It it wasn't hitting me as as well as some other transitions in the set. Considering the next four songs that finish this set are all either major hits or you know popular amongst Pearl Jam songs that are you know that could have been hits. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. They do kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And and that's kind of why I said it was a good transition because I wouldn't have expected it at all. Um, that, but That's it, fair. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I, I see your point, though. Going back and looking at the set list and all the people that have chimed in and said, hey, I remember this show, nobody has said really good, I got shit, or really good insignificance. And I've, I've heard people say that about both songs before that that sure it, they were highlights and you know here not so much yeah it's it was super hard for these to be highlights in this set in retrospect it's played well it's fun i've seen it a bunch of times i love it um but it's you know it, it is kind of it's, it's the word that you have to use that, that you know like matt said it's kind of kind of feels like filler it's not filler but mm-hmm. when you're when you're looking at it in hindsight that's how you're looking at it Fun, well played, like to hear it, but um, there's things that are about to happen that are just on a different level. Definitely. 100% agree. 100% agree. And um, I'm actually like, with the next four songs that are so strong, they're not just, you know, strong for the average Pearl Jam fan, but they're they're strongly played, all of them. Uh, I I am at a loss of what we should we should play here because a lot of people have talked about Jeremy and a lot of people talked about black. So we're just going to talk ourselves through it and then we're going to figure out what we're going to play. So, uh, we go from, from shit to Jeremy, which, um, again, we had mentioned how strong Ament was, uh, really early on. And again, you hear him loud and clear during Jeremy here. And that it's, it's another one of, his uh songs that that you do hear him in uh but man this one has really grown on me as a live song and even if eddie loses his uh his tracking a little bit loses footing the crowd picks him back up to the level he needs to be and he thanks him in the middle of it Uh, it's 
it's a really good version, even if he does screw it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, Jeff was the driving force of the song, like he normally is, but this one uh, especially because uh, it's it definitely speeds up at the end. They they and I feel like it's Jeff that speeds it up. He, hundred percent. I think he's really pushing them, and uh, but you could tell they're feeling it. You know, it's it's not like they're speeding it up to because they messed up or they're trying to get through it. It's because they're they're feeling this one, and it's short and it's sweet, and it was it was great. I loved it. He was feeding off the the energy of the crowd big time, and then everything just the pace and the feel just starts to erupt. And I was saying, you know, yesterday to uh, Randy, is like this is one of those weird experiences. Like, you know, it's a it's an awesome iconic song. Um, I could give or take if I ever hear it at a Pearl Jam show because I've heard it a bunch of times. But when you're in that crowd and you start hearing. 15,500, 16,000 people all singing the chorus at the top of their lungs. It's And you're just looking around going, what is happening? And that's that's what started to build and swell in this song was just everybody picked up and filled in when Ed was like, you know it better than I do. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It, it, it shocks me sometimes that I, I've, I've basically sat with Steve at numerous shows where they played Jeremy and he's, he sat there like a whiny little child that got, uh, you know, broccoli in his, his Mac macaroni and cheese or something like well, that. In, in his defense, he is an OG hater of the song. He did not like this, this song when, when it very first true. came out. So I could, I could give him the pass on that. He's not trying to be this hipster doofus, you know, Oh, I hate Jeremy. He was <laughs> no, <but> it, <laughs> it rubbed off on me though. Sure, it rubbed sure. off because his hatred for it. Absolutely, me too, and and I think it's changed in both of us because now we're hearing some really amazing versions of it. In everybody's defense, there was a point in time where the band didn't like it. Sure, and, and they changed it. <laughs> yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because you hear even in the late '90s shows. I think we did one uh, the MSG show a couple weeks ago, and that was just a hard hard jeremy where it just it did not sound good at all and that yeah, was, it was probably around the time right so um all right you know that 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 was good but i think i think we have a little more to talk about with black what do you think yeah yeah there's always something to talk about with black okay um let's let's talk about it then the part i want to play i'll want to play the uh the, the tag, the outro of it, because that, that that's the part that everybody kind of takes away from this song and the performance uh, of the right. song and, and really the show in general. Um, now, it's funny, Ed, Ed actually followed up. He said, let's see, let's see if I know this one, um, which is just it's funny. They're basically back-to-back -back on the album. So they are back-to-back -back on the album, just not in the same way they are in the set. Um, okay, Matt... Stone, plucky banjo sound again. <laughs> so the uke banjo hybrid acoustic guitar thing is back. I'm going with mandolin. Uh, you know, it had a bit more of a mandolin sound this time. Yeah, sometimes it's uke, sometimes it's banjo, sometimes it's acoustic guitar, which I prefer. Sometimes it's it's mandolin. We had a little bit more of a mandolin, but that's better because uh, because it was played better. Uh, Stone was mixed really well. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it wasn't piercing this time and, and it was mixed well throughout the whole song and it fit in the song. So uh, no complaints here with it. 
Uh, still not what I prefer, but it was not as grating as it was last time. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, this is when I was really interested with what Rat Sound, their, their, um, their live, uh, you know, sound group was pulling off in 2003, 2004, 2005, when they were able to get a, a good enough sound off of his acoustics. So I don't even know exactly what guitar he was using, but I know it was like, it had a, it's like a steel acoustic um, so it definitely gets that twang to it right. uh, when he's playing. And there are certain times where it definitely can sound a little bit too twangy. Um, I definitely, th- it was so well mixed. Um, it, it, and even being there live, it was so well mixed. And it was a good vibe and a good contrast to Mike's playing. And it just right. it filled the room that night. Well, I feel sometimes even Stone's regular acoustic guitar in Better Man and songs like that, uh, sometimes it's completely lost, uh, which does a big disservice because sometimes, even if you're playing one of the hardest songs, one of the heaviest songs you have, sometimes a nice full acoustic guitar really fills it up in a song like Better Man, uh, just, you know, not to jump ahead, but an example. And when it gets pushed in the mix and, and buried, you're losing this huge part. And uh, sometimes that happens with Stone, so... Just before before we get into talking about the tag a little bit, I, I really felt it was a, a very goosebumpy moment when the whole crowd does the whole I'm spinning, whoa, I'm spinning. I, I thought that that was uh, really felt in the moment that yeah. it was a real special performance of the song while while hearing that part. But uh, let's uh, let's play the tag around the do 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 part and. Um, yeah, let's uh, up until you know they're they're just kind of improving here, and it, it just sounds terrific. So let, let's just hear it. I wonder 
just so long gone We've all come alone Still I wonder Still I wonder Which is Somewhere I wonder I still wonder A lot of people, what they were saying about this whole entire tour was that Black had some of the most amazing tags that you could have expected uh, that they've ever done with the song uh, for the whole tour. And McCready's got this like well sound for his guitar going, and I, it sounds really it sounds amazing in the same kind of contrasting uh, the way that Ed is singing, and he's singing about. You know, this is all improv. It's not a we belong together or anything like that. But uh, he's singing about like stars in the sky, um, which I think I think he I think he heard my my debut album. Matt, do you remember Stars in the Sky? Uh, did that have was that pre or post exploiting Trevor? That was post. That that's 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 a deep cut right there. Ooh, okay. Yeah, it might still be on MySpace. That's how. Wow. Uh huh. yeah uh oh indeed um and it was around 2005 so i wouldn't be surprised if if ed had uh stumbled across my myspace account he was like stars in the sky i got it if you had him in your uh in your top eight then he might have seen it you know the top eight friends then at the time probably not not until after avocado came out it's probably just fat mike and uh (laughs) <laughs> and surge from from system of a down yeah yeah that's probably yeah fat mike absolutely in the whole entire uh <laughs> uh bouncing souls yeah and um maybe maybe we'll find the song and we'll uh we'll share it later Randy, I, if, if, you could dig that, if you could dig that up and get it to me before thursday then that is absolutely making its way into the show <laughs> well we'll see if it has a spot um okay. But yeah, what do you what what do you guys uh, think about the tag here? Yeah, different, fun. I I mean, I'd say interesting. It's a cool little freestyle. It's uh, well received. I mean, they're just they're playing everything really well on this night. There's really that's all I could say. Yeah, this was like second level type of black. The experience, I think, people were. You, you could see people like visibly having sort of outer body experiences of joy listening to this, especially as they went to the solo and the outro. It just was, it was a whole nother level. One of the best that I've ever been able to catch. That's, and it's amazing to kind of say that about a song like this because it, it's so deep and emotional as it is. I feel like every time they play it, uh, they bring it to a different kind of level of emotion and uh, to go back in hindsight and say that this version is the best or one of the best that you've ever heard uh, speaks volumes to how the song has grown 
throughout the years and, and what it means to, to people. So it's, it's real interesting to hear that, um, you know, compared to all the other blacks that I've heard that, that just blew my mind as well. So, um, and that goes from black into better, man, man, they are really, they are hitting, hitting you hard with popular, good, energetic songs here, uh, at the end. And, and it makes sense because the first encore really doesn't have that outside of alive. Um, if you want to count crazy Mary, sure. But, uh, they really, they gave you all the hits and they, they, they finished up really strong. Um, the save it for later tag, I thought really is really what made the song here. And I usually don't say that a lot about better man, but, um, I, I don't know what it was, but it surprised me. Right, yeah, you and I are are right on the same page with almost everything here tonight. Um, I said that uh, this this tag is especially fun uh, and energetic. This this one is this is yeah tag two point uh, kind of in in Patrick's words here. Uh, the crowd is super into it. Uh, I could I, I'm listening to it and I'm listening to this tag and I could only imagine being there because it's it it was one of the best ones that I've heard and you know that. Uh, I could be a little critical of Better Man because it's one of my favorite live songs to hear. And holy shit, this one, uh, it was real to the point. The intro got right to it. We're kind of used to that more like drawn out guitar work now. Um, and and I do like that, letting it breathe a little bit. It gives the audience like this real anticipation. But it was 2005. Maybe maybe he, you know, I, th- I think we're just used to him dragging that out a little bit more now. But fuck man this <laughs> this outro was incredible yeah this is a song i'll be honest like where i for a long time i kind of fell out of uh, out of love with it um and that was that was probably me being a little bit of a uh, of a jerky pearl jam fan being like oh, i don't like better man um this was when i i had started to really enjoy it a little bit in 2003 it was sounding really good to me and this night was when I was like reignited and understood what the song was like really about in the live setting. It just, it just struck a whole new chord. It sounded great. The outro was great. They were so into it. They were animated and just like, they made me watching them play it made me go stop being that jerk that wants to not like a song as like from a hipster <laughs> perspective and appreciate what they're doing on stage because you might not be there tomorrow um and it just it was it was again second level type of, of, of attack on this song but no, no one's going to hold it against you if uh if you didn't think that about last kiss just just let you know well, it's funny that you say that because that's one that I'll never be able to get back into. I'll keep it short and sweet. I loved it when they brought it in. Uh, I loved it as a, the single. I love what they did with the single. Um, I could care less if they ever play it live again. Sorry, folks. Um, and tonight when they played it at the show, they did it at the preset, which was awesome. I was like, great preset. That's right. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I knew there was something I didn't want to mention. It was a last kiss preset. <laughs> it was a last kiss preset, oh, but that was totally yeah. cool because that just meant it was not going to be played in the main set, so it was fine. Yeah, but I did I did research on a show. I don't remember what show it was, but Eddie came out and did in the preset. He did porch acoustically, which is an 
both our minds, Matt. Garbage. Wait, that was um. What show was that? Wasn't that like three nights later? Wasn't that uh, uh, the night? Yeah, it was only a few nights later that he did that. Yeah, because yeah, you know what? I went onto YouTube. I was wa- I wanted to watch this show really bad, and they don't have it. And I saw Canada. It was the first one to September, and I hit it, and I see this porch acoustic preset, and I'm like, well, this isn't it, and I'm not watching any more of this. <laughs> but they ended up playing actual porch in the set. That's the crazy part. Okay, so I don't think they played porch in the set in Canada after this show, but oh, okay. I, the, the set list that I saw, Oh God. yeah. The, I, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, cause I went through and I looked at most of the Canadian shows and I kind of just kind of scrolled through a little bit to see right. what was going on. I thought maybe that this was during one of those shows that, that there were two versions of porch. The only time I've ever heard. And, and I didn't see this live. Uh, cause I, had no business seeing this band, but um, the only time that I had ever heard of a band playing the same song twice in one night, and this is going to make a lot of sense. And yes, I had friends that actually went out and saw this band. And yes, they still at the time played uh, a flock of seagulls played. I ran twice. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. They played it one time, like completely techno funky, different, and then the other time they played it normal. I, I got to say, I, I've done some some weddings, and there'll be some very excited brides and grooms and parents that will want to hear a song two or three more times. And oh no, it, you know what though? They're they're the boss that night, and you, you smile and you do it. And there's nothing yeah. more there's nothing more awkward than that. It, it is it's a horrible feeling, but you know what I. I go along with it. <laughs> well, now that I think about it, rock and roll all night when, uh, I'm not rock and roll all night. That was the stupid, uh, ah, that <laughs> was from the, the same episode world. we talked yes. about. Yes. Yeah. Rocking in the free world, but rock and roll all night was the, uh, the one from that Thunderbirds like show. Uh, I forgot, I forgot the damn name in the show now. Uh, but there's play rock and roll all night. We already did play it again. Or the queen gets Although in 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 their defense, I think with rocking in the free world, like they started it and then they did like a medley and then finished it. It wasn't. I don't think they really Something did like the that. whole song twice, right? Uh, I don't know. I've I, I've actually I've not inspected that set fully yet. They kind of played it twice. God damn it! <laughs> it was un, it was unfortunate, but they did what they had to do. His live album in what was it, nineteen ninety seven? um that came out uh the the year of the horse and there's there's they have one of the recording you can hear a fan scream it all sounds the same and he yells back it's all one song (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it all right well there goes my benefit of the doubt but at least we've closed the case uh uncle neil at it again jeez uh, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into Uncle Neil later. Uh, Matt, you hate this, uh, this intro into Rearview Mirror. Um, okay, now this was egregious. They did it like 12 times before they did this. The oh my God, this was so, it went on way too long. Uh, you know what it, it does? Okay, it was really irritating. Here's why I don't like it. It gives this, it's like, give the song away before we do it. Uh, let me just give it away. So it's their version of 
of when you're when you're playing with your dog and, and you have a tennis ball and you fake throw it and they're like, oh, where'd it go? No. Yeah, but no. by like okay. the fourth or fifth time, they don't want to play with you anymore. And, and that's, that's what I mean. <laughs> After a while, you're like, all right, I'm not getting the damn ball. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to sleep. And this is such a s- stupid, small little thing because shocking, the song sounded fantastic. Yes. Uh, completely agree. Um, man, I got... I got lost in the version, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I did it too. Was, yeah. It was just a jam. And I think more than any other song that they have, uh, they can really jam with this one. And it's like, it's almost outside of Crazy Mary, maybe like almost like their fish song where they can go for 10 minutes and, uh, you know, just the crowd get lost in it and keep going and going and going until, until, they finally finish. Um, yeah, but, yeah, because you you can you can get a little lost in this one, and then on the on the other side of like Better Man, where they could do the same thing, but with the tag, it keeps it a little tighter. Uh, even though they can jam on it, but with with Rearview Mirror, which is really strange because the outro is so hard rock. The whole song is just a, a good rock song, but yeah, they could go full Space Odyssey on you uh, in the in the bridge in the jam definitely feels a lot more like it is improvisation for Vermeer than it is for, you know, better man or, yeah. or even porch or even, even flow. I think they have templates for those. It feels like rear mirror doesn't really have quite the same template that they make up. I think they just kind of go along with, with whatever they're feeling. Yeah. And I wrote on this one and I wanted to ask uh, uh, Patrick if he noticed or if he remembered, I loved what Jeff was doing in the jam. He was kind of making up, new progressions that fit the you know the scale and the key that they're in for the song and uh he was almost doing kind of side songs within the jam as as the guitar was going and uh him and matt together sounded really good during this yeah no i absolutely agree it was unbelievable like i i've been fortunate to catch a lot of good versions of this particularly this time frame 2003 2005 and a little bit of yeah, I only saw one show in 2006, but I've listened to a ton of them. This is when they were just like really going deep with the song in interesting ways. And Stone was using his like best instincts of his King Crimson type influences to mess around <laughs> yes. and have so much fun. And it was, and Jeff with this was completely driving it and allowing it to go just a little more, just a little more, just a little more. And every Mm -hmm. time he would hit, he would basically say, nope, we're not done yet. We're going to go just a little bit more and stretched it out. And this was the best version of, of rear view that I've ever been, uh, that I've seen live personally. It's amazing. You've, you've hit two major songs and three or three major songs in a row here where it could be your favorite versions and, no wonder why you chose this show because they they really it wasn't it wasn't just the hits it was everything they hit home so hard and they made sound really good and and thank the bootleg for for being mixed real well but man you're right jeff jeff drove this whole entire uh bridge to a different level and it just sounded terrific uh and great way to end the first set and kind of go into the encore here. Uh, and Ed starts off by saying he's not wearing a watch, but they're not ready to stop quite yet. 
And it was a bottle of wine similar to this that helped facilitate the writing of the next song that Jeff and I came up with this little number. Um, before before I talk about B-Girl for a second, uh, you know, this is, this is a little... I, I want to call it Grand Rapids Light because it's not really experimenting in a way, but it's still... Paced the same way. Yeah, but it's it's not quite dialed in yet. No, no, it's not. Um, it, it finishes the same way with with uh, Crazy Mary and Alive, and I, I guess because sleight of hands in there as well, you kind of there's similarities. But you're right this this wasn't uh, as experimental, but it has the same vibe of they're just gonna kind of do four or five campfire songs before finishing out and then going, you know, balls to the wall in the encore. Yeah. They started doing this on a lot of these shows on this Canadian tour where they played like three or four mellow songs coming out of the first encore. Um, definitely not grand rapid style where it was not just mellow, but we're going to drop a couple of deep cuts on your mm. like real deep cuts. Um, and I, I, and I think what we have started to see, especially when you think about like the 2013 and 14 tour where it was like, you know, a couple of new songs and a couple of really deep cuts on a lot of those shows mixed in, which gave it a little bit of a different vibe. Um, the only thing that I would say about this mellow encore is it was so necessary after the end of the first set. <laughs> Everybody needed to just hang out and control themselves a little bit after the way uh, the main set ended. So I was at the time I was extraordinarily thankful that they decided that they were going to ease their way into the rest of the night. Fantastic point there that, you know, uh, I don't know if they made set list changes or they, they kind of knew at that point that, uh, uh, that they were going to do this, but it did feel like, that the end, especially the last four songs, uh, needed a full cool down after that. And um, it starts off with B-Girl. And originally I wanted to play it. I, I, I don't really have much to say about it, though. The only reason why I wanted to play it was because it's, it's rare and it was the only the fifth time it had played it at this point. But we really, we talked about B-Girl a couple episodes ago. And I... It, you know, with a rare song like this, you don't know when you're going to cover it again, but um, I don't have really much to say about it besides the fact that there were six Lost Dog songs on this show, and that led the way for all the albums, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Yeah, it was definitely unusual. It was definitely unusual. It was... Now, I know that 2003, they put it out late in 2003, but it, it's it's almost listening to this show that they're kind of touring for lost dogs a little bit. And, uh, you know, they're, they're splicing in, you know, B girl and don't give me no lip here. Uh, rare songs that even to this day that are going to be really tough to hear, but man, um, you know, I, I don't really have much else to say about B girl, to be honest with you, Matt, what do you, what do you have? Uh, no notes, no notes for B girl. Yeah. That, that, Again, originally I wanted to play it, but if we really don't have much to say, I got a lot to say about the next one. So, hmm. any, any other points that anybody want to bring up about B Girl? I, I feel 
we have to do it a little justice. It was fun to hear. It was interesting to hear, and it was unique, and it was played well. Um, and I'd be, and I've managed to catch it one other time. Um, and it's like always a fun, nice little surprise because I remember listening to Rockline in October of '93 when uh, Jeff and, and Ed just riffed it off the top of their head. Um, so it was always nice to see it uh, dive in and dive out as a an opportunity to hear it. But you know, it, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of riff off you guys the last couple of weeks. Nice to have it. Happy to have it. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And and you know what? This one is nice, short and sweet. Um, I, I don't know why I expected the song to be longer, but uh, it does feel, you know, less than three minutes, which is. Uh, Again, I, I don't know if that was the intention, but um, one thing that I do want to bring up about this song and it being in rareness that I've never heard it live before, but um, when you get that like holy shit factor with certain songs, like they never play this, I've never seen this, um, I would have I would have screamed holy shit with uh, with Don't Give Me No Lip, but B Girl. Not so much. I would have been like, okay, all right, nice to hear it. I'm glad I hear it. Oh, that's but, cool. That's cool. Right, but not, you know, I don't think, you know, maybe there are some people out there that, that would get excited, legit excited to hear B-Girl, but, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of other people would be way more excited to hear Dirty Frank. Oh, God. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I, I uh, take, I take the, you know, the, the vibe in the room. Yeah. Let's get into a little bit of Ramones here. Um, now, I, I saw on the set that, that they were playing I Believe in Miracles, and I knew the date because last week it was just, just so happened that we talked a lot about Johnny Ramone last week, and I had mentioned the date. Uh, Matt, you actually brought up the date he died. I knew the year that he died uh, and month, but this is a year and a day uh that he had passed uh, as Patrick was mentioning before. So this is kind of, this is a tribute to him. And not only that, but um, I don't know if they've ever done it like this before or after this. So listen to this version of, I believe in miracles. And uh, I was very shocked to hear it start off like this. So let's, let's get into that.
you know, I had no idea what they were even doing with with uh, with the set list up. I, I I think I had the set list up and saw B Girl, I believe in miracles. But then when they started playing, I believe in miracles. I I I almost thought it was a tag, and I almost thought to myself, are they about to go into thin air? Because that's kind of that's what it came off as to me at first. But then when he he gets into to the lyrics, and I'm like, oh, oh, shit, yeah, it is, I believe in miracles, this is incredible, uh, I really, really like it, I really like this version, I think there's a lot of heart in it, and, uh, it goes to show you, you can turn a four-chord progression Ramon song into something beautiful. Um, the only part of the entire show that I cannot stand is this song. I don't like this. I think the idea is great. I think the sentiment is great. I think their hearts were in the right place, but it's one of those things where I think the idea is better than the execution. And it reminds me of when you're in like the supermarket or like a mall or like an elevator uh, and a cover version of a really good song comes on and you say, wow, I wish this version that I'm hearing was never made. That, that's that's how I felt about it. There's I, a, I did not enjoy this at all. I, I there's a cover on the tip of my tongue that I'm thinking right now that um, uh, it's it, it's right there, and I'm trying to think of it of what it could be. But it's a version of a song that I really like by an artist that I hate, and a version that I hate. So I I, I follow you there. But I thought I thought this sounded great. What did you think, Patrick? I I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll, I'll sit on both sides of the fence. Um, when I heard this, they, they did do, um, a mellow acoustic version, um, at t towards the tail end of 2003. I think they did it twice at, uh, um, actually we'll, we'll get into, uh, an interesting repeat. They did it at Benaroy Hall. And then when they did the Santa Barbara benefit that they did like a few days later, they actually played, I believe, in Miracles twice at the show. They played it electric, <laughs> and they played it acoustic. And the, acoustic, and the acoustic wow. version is, I believe, is what is on the uh, the Christmas single that year. I might be making things up, but I'm pretty sure the acoustic is what's on the Christmas single that year. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, I, I'd heard it, obviously, you know, you guys did Camden last week. They, they played it full-on electric. They did it at the, the garden um, a couple of nights after that. Um, and then the night before the show, they did it full on electric. I prefer it that way. I do have like, I love the way they played it at Ben Royal Hall, but I think it just happens to fit the vibe of that room more than it fits the vibe of an arena, if you will. Um, so I like it, but in an arena setting, I'd probably hear it more rocked out like they did the night before this kind of um and i know eddie did uh did this for that album but it kind of reminds me of what some of the interpretations of remote songs were on that uh were one big happy family album do you remember that so, uh and the one that's sticking out in my mind is red hot chili peppers doing havana affair which was you know so red hot chili peppers that if they played that song live people wouldn't have known they would have thought it was an original of theirs. So I, I liked that recorded version of Havana affair. And I, I remember them doing it live once and it was, it was not good. It, it just did not come off 
like the recording did. It was a the little... The recording was fantastic. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I heard them do it live once. It was on some sort of compilation thing, I think, or... I think we or, saw it live one of those shows we went to. You know, maybe we did, but I remember it not being good, and I was very disappointed. Yeah, I... I don't remember how it sounded. I, I, I just I remember listening to the studio version uh, when they did that album and being very pleasantly surprised and, and almost shocked that it was a Ramon song because it's kind of it's not a very popular Ramon song. So yeah, it, it really is a good song though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's better than Rob Zombie's version of uh, Blitzkrieg Pop. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Uh, sorry, I just did a quick check. It looks like um, Reach Down and I Believe in Miracles was the Pearl Jam 2003 Christmas uh, single. Uh, but, but was I, it the I do not know if it was the acoustic or not. Okay. So we'll, uh, yeah, the verdict is out on that. Someone write in, please. Um, John, if you're okay, out there. John. Yeah. John, that's, that's oh, John, John. John, you know what? I'm sorry. I forgot to, uh, I wanted to respond to your email. I, I just completely forgot to. Uh, so... Uh, you made some good points in in this week's email. I want to I want to uh, write you back soon. Sorry about that. Yeah, we 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 now we now just talk to John on this podcast. It's okay. He keeps us on our toes, though, man. I I, I love it. I, I look forward to his his email on like a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah, he definitely does. Now we're we're just playing around. We're talking to everybody. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that was that was pretty different. Um, you know, again, not something you're, you're going to see nowadays and something special for the moment and time. So, uh, you know, kind of leave it in the time capsule and kind of let it float. Uh, I liked it though. Sleight of hand is next. And we talked about it a lot or a little bit during grand rapids and, and how it's kind of difficult to envision a song being played anywhere else, but, but the first encore. And, uh, that's cause I, I, and I'm sticking with exactly what I thought, uh, two episodes ago, but it's really difficult to be enthusiastic about it in a live setting. And it really has nothing to do with how good the song is. It's just, you know, it's not a sing-along. It's kind of dreary. It's kind of moody, depressing. Um, And really, I I can't even see myself standing during it. It, It's really a song that it's more of a sit-down song anyway. So it's, you know, and it has nothing to do with the song. It's just, it's just not, it's just not meant to be a live song for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you too. And, and I'm actually going to stick to what I said a couple weeks ago as well. I think it feels weak here and it's a little clunky and I feel like they're having a little bit, you know, some feedback problems here and there and, and the spot really isn't showcasing it, but this is a song that um, it's not that strong on its own of a song. And I think it needs to be placed very delicately. And if you can't find a really good spot for it, then, yeah, I, I think this has the potential of being completely lost and forgotten about. And I think it almost falls victim to that here because it's not really doing anything spectacular for the set. And I think there could have been much better options. So I agree with you. I just don't think it's it's a live setting song. Yeah, they played this one much better during the binaural tour. Um, and most of the times that I caught it, it was either the first or second, but usually the first song coming into the, the first encore 
which is a much better placement, and they usually would tip right into you know a little bit higher pace after that. Um, it's it, it definitely it's very atmospheric, and you got to be wanting to hear it, and you got to be into it. And I was probably one of maybe 500 people that were there that were like, "Cool, they're playing sleight of hand." Um, but I think everybody else was like, "Okay, what's next already?" Because it's it's it was it's a deep cut on binaural that is not a, it's not lifting your spirit up. You know, it is it is making you very introspective. Absolutely not. Yeah, but I you know mentioned it before. It's uh, on the other episode. It's a song that once you hit 30 and you realize that. You know, this song is your actual life. You wake up in the morning every day and you do the same fucking routine and realize, where did all my dreams go? Yeah. Yeah, that one hits you in a different way from when you were 20 listening to the album than when you were 30. So I, I've grown to appreciate it in that, that you know, 10-year gap uh, of turning, you know, being in my 20s to being in my 30s. But uh, still, it doesn't really make this song much better to hear live. I'm not, I would never go into a show saying, you know, maybe they should play Sleight of Hand or, you know, so, uh, moving on. Um, I think it, it's really good that they do follow this song with more of a sing along because it does, uh, lift the crowd spirits a little more. Uh, and we get elderly woman here and it's all good. Um, and you're anticipating, kind of what the second encore is going to bring uh at this moment in time and you know you're halfway through this and i think you kind of have the understanding that it's going to continue toned down and and maybe they're playing their card you know pretty uh pretty open playing their card here showing that they're gonna play a live at the end of this set maybe it could be porch you know it depending on on your way of thinking but this is pretty much they're not going in to do the evolution. They're not doing hard stuff here. This is pretty much the same pace that they're going to keep it. Uh, so, you know, in between all these songs, you know, considering that B-Girl isn't too much of a sing-along because it's deep, I believe in Miracles is played differently, so you're not really going to sing along to that. And sleight of hand, no one's singing. Uh, Elderly Woman here is a really good placement in between sleight of hand and Crazy, crazy Mary for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love this spot. It's outside of mid-set one. It's different, shakes it up. Uh, I wasn't feeling this encore one when it started, but this brings it all back. It's a fan favorite, gets everyone excited, gets everyone up, sing along. And uh, strategically speaking, I think this was very well played. I think the band played it well, you know, uh, of course, uh, musically speaking, but strategy-wise, as a set build or an encore build here, love this spot yeah absolutely i mean this is i this is where i prefer the song to be if they're playing it i want it in the encore and i want it to be building towards something so it, it couldn't have been in a better placement at this point in time because it's it's st starting the the turn for where the rest of the night's going i yeah that's a really good point um because it's a really it's really good transition into crazy mary but not only that um it brought up something that I had never thought before. Uh, I'm going to put on my, my tinfoil hat here because I got a conspiracy theory that I'm conspiracy theorizing. Oh, boy. Is, is Crazy Mary 
the same elderly woman behind the counter in the same small town that sh- <laughs> that lives in the same tar paper shack. It could be it could be that Eddie or whoever the character is that seemed to recognize her face. She could have had a mental breakdown after that. Moved out of her two bedroom apartment. Did the B girl believe in miracles and then have a sleight of hand and become elderly and crazy? Oh wow. But okay. but my, crazy Mary crazy Mary is not still alive. My mind just blew all over the living room right now. That yeah, I <laughs> that's oof. um so that's the show today. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. There will be no Slater Kenny, and uh, I'm gonna go eat a whole box of ice cream. <laughs> Forget about ever talking about this. Uh, anyway, uh, outside of dumb conspiracy theories that could expand to other conspiracy theories that, you know, you can theorize for days. Um, I freaking love this version. And every time I hear a groovy sound inversion like this more and more and more, I'm just freaking, I'm floored by it. And again, it's, um, I think you were talking about this last night, Patrick. It was the one, you know, early on where boom and, and Mike were really starting to feel and feed off of each other. And, uh, uh so are we on the crazy Mary here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got, I got some things to say about this crazy Mary, please. Uh, so, I mean, it's not going to come to a surprise because everyone knows that I love crazy Mary, but Eddie's voice is butter smooth. And, uh, it's one of the best paced, crazy Mary's I've heard in a long time. And, uh, Mike and Matt and boom, I think are on fire at the end. I think they had this trifecta going on, but kind of sneaking up on you. Um, Jep and stone are keeping a rhythm, uh, better than I've heard in a, in a, in a few weeks now. And, uh, it is, it's everything you want from a crazy Mary. And on top of that, the crowd is coming back through in this bootleg and they're singing over Eddie. You, you hear them loud and clear. I can't really articulate that much better. That's yeah. I mean, it, I'm I'm beating a little bit of a dead horse by yeah. saying this, but this is again one of second level and one of the best Crazy Marys that I've ever caught. And I I had the fortune of of being at Penn State, which I thought was really good. Um, the the version you guys covered a couple of weeks ago, Grand Rapids, is very very good. This yep. was like otherworldly. This is again like I, it felt like at that point towards the end where you can hear the crowd just rise when Mike and Boom are trading off. It yep. felt like we might actually feel the venue just lift off the ground and take off. Yeah. Wow, it, it's it's true. I love it's, that feeling. And and this was this was one of the ones where I thought Matt was was doing some really cool things in too that we had mentioned earlier on in the show. He was. I don't know. He was, it was almost like he was playing off of Mike and Boom too, uh, with with the drums, and and it added this element to it. I, I I can't, you know, I can't articulate it any better. It's um, I I was just listening to the song, and I can't, I couldn't put into words and define what was going on. I was just, I was, I got so lost in it. It was kind of how uh, Rearview Mirror was performed in this night. You just you find yourself listening and you find yourself, you know, losing yourself in the moment. 
not to steal a phrase uh, from some rapper in Detroit, uh, but man, I, I wouldn't I because I got so lost in it. I didn't even think like of Matt's role in the song. I didn't think of of Stone's role in the song. I didn't think of Jeff's role. I didn't even you know realize how butter smooth Eddie's uh, vocals were in here, but. You're 100% right. They were fan-freaking-tastic. So. Yeah, I totally agree. And there is, just to echo what you were saying, Matt, about you know how Ed sounded on this, he had it like down to a T and was even like giving those like those ghostly lyrics yeah. and delivery on them where you're just like, perfect, this is exactly how this song the song is. Storytelling, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had, and you know what? I had more to say. And next time we cover the song, I'll have more to say and just talk about, like, I guess the songs, uh, the meaning of the song, because I wanted to talk about that a little bit today, but, but today, but screw it. Don't need to talk about <laughs> Shreveport, Louisiana. So um, <laughs> here we are finishing the first encore with a live, and um, we kind of glossed over the fact that it didn't even appear in last week's show, and, um, it, you know, a set like that didn't even need it. It's, uh, and we're getting back to, look, this is early, early 2000s, and now that that it's it's played every night, you expect it every night, but early 2000s, especially by Gnarl Tour after Russ Killed, uh, they, they, they stopped playing it, and they completely left it off the set, and, and I think by the time Riot Act came back around, they brought it back around at some points, but it might have been really on this tour as well. Uh, but, you know, we've kind of glossed over it in general lately, lately, and it's not really on purpose. It's just circumstance. Uh, and, you know, it has to reach such a high plateau for us to get really excited about it. And, um, you know, besides a little hesitation before finding a groove, it, you know, it's as epic as, as it's always been. And I really don't have much more to say about it. I wish I did. Yeah, it was it was a fun version. I the the one thing I like about it here, especially you know, with the hindsight, you know, the ability to look back and see what they've done with set lists, things have gotten a little bit predictable with where this song ends up right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, back then it was like it could be ending the first set or be towards the end of the first set, or it could be an encore song, or it might be a, a second encore song, or they might not play it that night, um, which mm -hmm. is was totally cool. That it was really good pace tonight. Um, just from being there, it was super fun because McCready w took off into the crowd uh, during the during the solo at the end. Just you know, right. jumped right down and decided to take a walk around, which was pretty interesting to watch. And you know, obviously everybody's like watching that, and they're getting even more hyped up in the crowd seeing him do that um so it was fun it was great uh to see it and it's it's a it's a good spot i like it in this spot where it's it's sort of transitioning from you know what's going to happen you know the, a build up of a great encore one and what's going to happen in encore two yeah well because it's it's there's nothing worse than going to a pearl jam show especially with the habits that they have now and hearing alive and Basically, it's the signaling of the beginning of the end. So yep, when that's... you hear it at the end of like an encore one, you're like, yeah, they're going to come out and they're going to do like anywhere from three to five, six more songs. And and one of them is not alive. So 
that's what makes uh, shows like this really exciting. Yeah, I, 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 sorry if I cut you off. I feel like nope. it's so predictable um, nowadays that they've really, if you look at their set list in 2018, I think almost every single show, the first set, uh, closed with Porch, and then almost every single show alive into a Rockin' or uh, Bob O'Reilly or, or Ledbetter or something like that. But it was the same exact spots. I just I wish they would change it up, like you said, just change it up a little bit and and stop making it this song that is a trigger for you know end of show uh, uh, signaling because it you know it doesn't need to be. It, it can be placed in other spots and still be effective. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's, I mean, I'll even go one step. I, I looked back in, in at the numbers and dug deep into the rabbit hole a few weeks ago. Um, and if you go back to like late September, early October of 2009, I think almost 95% of the shows Alive is either the third to last song or the penultimate song of the set. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And a little, every now and again, a little change up. And I know this band is really good at changing things up, but this late in the game where, you know, they are a bit set in their ways in ways, but they will, you know, find ways to change things up. I, 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 I don't foresee a time in 2019 and further where a live is going to be a first set ender or something like that. It, it's unfortunate, but you know, for a band like this that are now in their fifties, they, they need some things to re- rely on that are consistent for every show. So I understand even though it's not, you know, it's not what should happen every time. Um, all right, let's uh, dig into encore too a little bit. There's some cool stuff in here, but we're, uh, gonna start off with uh, so it, it is it says thanks to the crowd and says nothing else but thank you and I don't know why I wrote that because that's not really that interesting but um, <laughs> yeah right doing way too much research so we're starting the second encore here uh, after a live and uh, we kick it off with given a fly which is you know you've heard me a thousand times on this show, talk about giving a fly, and and you've even heard uh, renderings of other people talk about me on other podcasts say that I don't like giving a fly live, and and that's not necessarily true. If anybody's listened to the show, it's not that I don't like it live. It kind of is that I don't like it live. It's that I've accepted it for the way it is live now, even if it's not anywhere as close to the studio version, even if. Uh, you know, Matt is not anywhere as close to what Jack, uh, how Jack plays it on the studio version. Um, it's all about where it's placed. And I, I love it as a show opener, like they did in Chicago and Boston, but as an encore two opener where you kind of out of the gate want something really kind of energetic and electric. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a, a bit, I don't know. I, I don't want to say downer. I just want to say just kind of blah. I, that, that, you know. I wanted to just say boo immediately because I've become picky about this one thanks to you. I've, and thanks I've to made Steve. you picky about it. Yes. Yeah, I've you gotten have. through you, to you. You, you and Steven have, have absolutely made, made me very picky. The pros I had, though, was that I'm sure when you're there in the moment and 
Alive, Rear View Mirror, Better Man, they're all done. It's Encore 2, What Could Be Next, and they come out with Given a Fly. I don't want to speak, you know, like I was there, but I, I could imagine if I was, I would be pretty excited, and, and I think I would be about it, because it, it is, it's played well. How it sounds was enjoyable to me, listening to it. But all together, all in all, when all is said and done, no, this is not my preferred spot. I wouldn't say it was blah because I thought it sounded I thought it sounded good. I'm I'm less about it being sped up. I don't I don't mind if they speed it up. I don't mind if they slow it down. I'm I'm not picky about that. It's just about where they put it. But I think part of my blah was that I didn't like that it was there that you're opening up a new set to open the door to to other songs and um Maybe it was just the version in Boston sounded just really cathartic and 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 feel good. You know, it had that, oh, that vibe that, to it. Yeah, that opener was was pretty magical, and definitely we were not expecting it either. So that mm-hmm. added to it. But no, but this here, it's it, it felt ordinary, I suppose. Yeah, it's a song that's very interesting in that I love it on the record. Uh, absolutely love it. I think it suffered from the change that when Jack unfortunately left, um, the band loved it, but they weren't entirely sure what to do with it. Um, and in the live setting, it, it's a tough fit. In my perfect world, it would be played kind of about this pace, and it would open a show. Um, more so than being played like mid-first set or in this spot. I like the tempo that they, they drove in this. It was interesting to hear it at this spot, and it actually, it definitely, with the vibe of the set and what they have already played, it definitely helped um, transition through the rest of the night. Um, but it's always, to me, been a difficult placement. Like, where do you put this song that is this mid-tempo rocker that has this very, very interesting vibe and beat that also is missing the catalyst that struck the chord for this song? <laughs> It's often presented as Mike's song, and I get that. I know that he wrote the riff for it, but there's so much of a Jack vibe in this song that it's. That I've always felt like the band has struggled with its footing. I'm glad that other people have shared, and, and it sounds like I haven't swayed you in, in a direction here from listening to the show. It sounds like you've had this uh, idea in your head for, for a while now, but I, I'm glad that you know, we kind of, I'm not going into this and saying like, I'm the guy that hates giving a fly live in, in certain positions. It's, it's sort of a lot of people are kind of on board with Steve being the same way. And a lot of other people besides John Farrar have, have, have talked to me about it and said, you know, it's, I've always kind of felt that way. It's that something, you know, was a little off or, uh, you know, or I just wasn't enjoying it as much as I, I should have been enjoying it because I know how much I love the song. But I, I guess in my eyes, the besides that Boston show, uh, the only time that I was really excited to hear Given to Fly was the first time I heard it. And that mm. was pretty, you know, after that, because I, I was just a little... I was a little disappointed that it didn't have the bells and whistles that, that it does on the studio version that has that enormous build to that high climactic point in the middle of the song where the wave comes crashing. Uh, it just, 
it doesn't have as much as a build. It, it's sort of on the same level, except the guitar gets a little louder uh, or faster. So it's, you know, uh, I'm glad other people kind of agree about the placement and it, you know, it validates, you know, our thinking here. But uh, um, I, I really do wish that they would change it up a little bit live and, and, and find other other spots that it could uh, it could go in and, and, and be useful in. Um, that brings us into Not For You, and we haven't really talked about Not For You in a long time. I, I feel I feel like anytime we've talked about it, we've really glossed over it. So um, I really like the usage of it here in the Encore, uh, except I think it lacked that kick in the ass that I like about the song, that it just kind of, like, you know, that groove, that tempo, and it kind of, it gets really angry in the middle. I don't know if it wasn't, you know, if it was the transition from Giving a Fly. I don't know if it was Eddie not putting a full emphasis on the anger, but um, it didn't it didn't feel as angry to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's very interesting, because I wrote interesting on my notes, and it's because... I'm 50-50 on this, mainly because, um, honestly, sometimes I just don't care for it. it. It's one of those things that needs to be placed right for me. I need to be really in the mood for it. I actually think it strangely works here in the Encore, too, and I thought I thought it felt really good after giving the fly. I thought the transition was pretty good. I thought it was played well. I do agree with you. I think it could have used a little bit more oomph behind it, a little little bit more balls, but... I'll take it here. Uh, I thought I thought this was pretty cool. I like it here. The only thing I'll agree, uh, Randy, that there's a missing of that oomph. But I think this is kind of that. This is that transition stage when Ed is moving from um, angry Ed to I'm understanding my life, Ed. Dad, Ed. <laughs> some of these things change a little bit, and his his approach and his tact with some of these songs, it's hard. You know, it's hard. Like, how do you, how do you, in a song that you wrote with such emotion and such belief, how do you carry that as you start feeling like you know I've got control of things now? And that's th- that's the thing that with this song, it's such a different vibe when you listen to this when it was raw in 1994 even before they released Vitology and, and post-Vitology when they were playing it in 95 and 96, when he has just the different edge, it's at its absolute apex at that point because he is, his persona is on top of that and he's trying to figure out what, how, how he makes this song work as he matures. Um, and that's definitely a little bit of the vibe that's missing here. I get the same... Uh vibe off of not for you that i that i get from blood uh that it was really in its early stages one of the uh and and same with porch too you know for that matter that um in its early stages it really defined early pearl jam in the early not early to mid 90s and what their statement was about what their attitude was about and now um it's kind of Nowadays, I guess I, I don't want to say it's like it's it's just playing the hits, like uh, but but the hits don't sound like they used to. It's it, I, I guess it's kind of um, uh, what is it? it it's 
I have a term on, on the tip of my tongue, and I'm thinking about it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got it. I got it. Hold on. I, I can't think of what the fuck they call it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Please indulge me. Uh, what do they call it? Could. <laughs> okay. It's. I got it. I finally fucking got it. Okay. All right. It's like coming back for an old timers game. It's okay. <laughs> songs that okay they were awesome in their prime, but um, they've kind of been retired or retired of that attitude. Like, uh, like yeah, unofficially. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, I think besides the the Boston show, they played Blood one other time, but not for you. They play here and there. Um, but Old Porch, they definitely. Old porch is, is retired and, and uh, you know not ever coming back to baseball. So um, you know when you hear it, it it's kind of like you're you're seeing an old star come to the plate and they're they're dribbling little grounders to third and it's kind of like okay yeah that, that was nice he got on base and you know the the shortstop couldn't get to the ball in time and and uh, you know but it was nice it was nice to see them try. It was nice to see, yeah. yeah. Just trot out there and, and do your thing, but so, sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes at those old timer games, uh, uh, somebody ends up hitting a home run because you know they retired two years ago or something like that, and and the pitcher is like fifty eight. So <laughs> as as absolutely crazy and outlandish as all that sounded, it made complete and perfect sense. Thank you. You're welcome. I <laughs> I, I can't believe that we've made about a hundred Pearl Jam analogies with baseball and they've all almost worked. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they work well together. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm a big hockey fan too, but I can't really think of hockey. Uh, I, I can't compare the band to hockey really. It, <laughs> it just doesn't make as much sense, but comparing the band to baseball just feels it feels right. It feels like in, a, in the wheelhouse. Um, I was just going to mention this. I wanted to play it, but um, since we're going to hear them later on, they do tag this with Modern Girl. Uh, it's really early on in their tagging this with Modern Girl. I know if you're hearing Not For You nowadays, it's pretty much expected that they're going to go into My Whole Life like a picture on a sunny day. But... Um, this is the third time that they've ever done it, and Slater Kinney is is on this tour, and I think this is the first time Slater Kinney opened up for them. Maybe 2003 as well. That was mostly the Buzzcocks and Ben Harper, if I'm not mistaken. They opened a few shows in 03, but uh, then they opened a couple in, in the 05 Canada tour, but a couple on 03 as well. So, yes, I, I, we talked about this last night, the, just the openers and how important the openers used to feel and now that they're all they're all gone and you know my morning jacket and kings of leon and uh black keys even opened up for them a couple shows in 2010 uh they it's like you were discovering bands back then and then they now i wish that we can discover i wish that there were still openers but they would still play the same three-hour show because they still want to discover a new band that's about to hit big. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll see more of Slater Kinney here in a minute, but that kind of leads me to think that if maybe they, they should have flip-flopped Not For You and Daughter because it would have been kind of cool to see Slater Kinney walk out on stage and start singing 
modern girl with them? Anybody? That could have been cool. Yeah, absolutely. I would have, I would have dug that. I mean, the, the, this is like only months into uh, into the wilderness being out at that point, um, and it it's kind of took me aback when they were working it into not for you. I was like, oh, cool. I mean, I had the the, the record, and it was it was it's one of the better tracks on that record. But um, seeing them work it into the song was just like, oh, wow, that's that's neat. That's interesting. And if you've ever heard the original song, uh, the the Slater Kidney version, it's it's completely different. And I think the first time that I went out and heard their version, it, it's like it's punk, it's kind, it's dirty, it's it's dingy, and uh, it sounds really fucking. I actually like the Slater Kidney version way better than than uh, Ed's interpretation as the tag. It it's not the same thing. So uh, do yourself a favor, and if you've never heard the actual modern girl uh go out and uh check it out because it's, it's a great song um daughter after not for you uh and um i actually liked liked it a little more uh you know sound the sound the bells sound the sound of sirens but uh i liked it a little more because it felt i don't know i maybe maybe this whole time i've i've just been annoyed by them tagging with with wma or tagging with something else that that the tag is just throwing me off but it felt it feels concrete with 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 it just being the whole song and it feels compact and and it sounds good just being daughter and not going into something else there was a couple instances of that in this show where they kept it kind of short and sweet and to the point that they didn't drag things out and they didn't make things too long and and overdone but i don't mind them hitting them with with a a late encore two hit song you know alive is done so why the hell not you know it's gonna sound great the only thing i'd say is that it gets a little slow towards the end for a mid encore two song and you know jeff is sitting down playing bass so uh momentum wise maybe not the best but like eh, fuck it like I, I thought it sounded really good and like i said hit him with it hit him with a hit on, on the second encore here it accomplishes i think its goal in in that aspect yeah absolutely if you're if they're playing that in the encore at this stage this is how you want to hear it i don't need a tag on it um in the encore back in like 1995 at times it would be in the encore and it would be elongated and and interesting and there was stuff going on but that was a, a you know 10 years earlier there was different material and much less material and it made sense um but in this context it's it's done right the only thing i would say is you could probably have pushed this up to encore one and made some switches um if you're going to be picky um and maybe it would have given it you know a little bit of a different vibe to it um but overall if you're playing this here i want it kind of straightforward the way they did it and, and i like it this way in this spot definitely yeah, agreed. It's I, you know, I feel like it's fooling around after a while. It's just it's kind of predictable. You kind of know what's coming. It's either it's either WMA or it's uh, it's okay, or maybe you know a hey ho let's go. And it's just I, I I don't know. It feels like after a while it's just kind of a lot of sitting around and uh, and trying to anticipate what the next song is instead of just enjoying 
daughter for the song that it is. This is the first time I've really got to hear it without a tag for a long time. So, I'm, you know, you can enjoy the song for what it is uh, when that happens. Uh, Ed says they need a little help with the next one. Invites Slater Kenny on stage. Uh, and the crowd is, is kind of mild, and that's kind of disappointing. I don't know if it came off better in the arena. Is that... Did, did you kind of feel the same way, or...? I don't think until they started the song. Um, I, I always think that there was, other than... Um, you know, and I don't want to say it's core fans, because it's hard to say, because there's plenty of core fans that didn't ca catch their vibe, whereas other people who might have been casual fans were into Slater Kenny being involved and doing some of the encores back in 2003 and things of that nature. But um, it definitely was like low key until they started playing the track. Uh, once they started playing the song, people were into it. I was once I, you know, heard the strumming and I saw them come on stage and spoiler alert, I was there the night before um, and they had already done it the night before, but it was like, okay, cool. They're doing it again. I want to see how this, how, how this takes off. Um, it, you know, it's all about, it's all a little bit about feel. I love Slater Kenny. I love their vibe. I love what they brought to the table. I loved when they were an opening band for this band. I loved when they were joining them during encores in 2003. They were some of my favorite shows. Um, but yeah, I think people were a little bit like, oh, okay, Slater Kenny. And then the song started and everyone was like, whoa. All you need is to hit one chord and then be blown away. Um, so Ed does mention that Canada is connected to Neil Young as his original home in Winnipeg, where he grew up, and uh, he wants to do a version of the next song to honor him, and we're going to do next, uh, this version of the next song to honor him as well. So here is Harvest Moon. Just like children sleeping, we could dream this night away. But there's a full moon rising. Let's go. Let's go out and feel the night Cause I'm still in love with you I wanna see you dance again Because I'm still in love with you If 
I were to, and this is, it would really be hard for me to do this, to put together uh, top 10 or top 25 of the songs that shaped my life or shaped my music taste, but man, um, this song was on the in the car every single time I got into either my parents' car or usually my mom or my dad's car for uh, uh, a long road trip or even just to go to school or something like that. This album was on constantly because my parents will never end up changing their CDs. They would just play the same thing over and over again in a loop because they, you know, worked seven minutes from home. So, you know, what, what was the point of it? Um, but it was, it was Harvest Moon and it was Wildflowers of Tom Petty. And I just have like such vivid memories of both albums and such nice memories of being a kid and, and like starting to learn music just by being in the car. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful song and it reminds me of love and rediscovering love. And, uh, I would think it's a great first dance option if my fiance didn't hate Neil Young. So, uh, uh, it's not going to be, um, but yeah, it's, this sounds really good with Slater Kenny's backup vocals and, you know, only nine times ever played live, but it feels like Slater Kenny was on for most of the times they played it. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not the biggest Neil Young fan, but, uh, I th- absolutely adore this song. Uh, Randy, as you know, uh, a good friend of mine, it, it was his first dance at his wedding and they are, they are very happily married. So that's a very good sign. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> Uh, but th- I thought this was a really fun, and I thought it was a meaningful spot. Um, I had a problem with songs being utilized properly in this set, and I thought that this spot showcased this song proudly, and uh, like that's what I was missing from "Don't Give Me No Lip." It was it was showcased. They were proud of it. It sounded great. And you're right. I I also wrote down that the Slater Kenny backups are absolutely lovely, and. Um, Huge fan, huge fan of this, especially where they played it. Yeah, I just, I mean, Harvest Moon is my favorite Neil Young record, and the the fact that they ended up covering the song and and uh, being able to experience it twice, it just couldn't ask for more. And uh, and having Slater Kenny there to, to to provide the backups to make it perfect, it just it was. It was awesome. It was one of those things where you're just you're sitting there and going, "How can I bottle this experience up uh, so that I can have it whenever I need to tap into it?" Um, and fortunately, they record a nice bootleg and mix it so that you can uh, go back and grab it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a beautiful version, and it's going to be uh, if I were to make a playlist of just random live songs, it would absolutely. Uh, be near the top of of that. It's just it's fantastic here. Um, afterwards, did you did any recognize uh, a little little hunger strike after that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they started noodling a little bit because they did when um, Slater Kenny finished the end of the O three tour with them. Um, they did cover Hunger Strike a couple of times. Corinne Tucker. Um, did the the vocals with Ed? Um, so uh. so I can't I can't honestly say 
whether it was uh, Stone or Mike that was was noodling and and teasing. I bet, I bet it was Stone. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely a nod to, hey, we've done it before. Why not do it now? And uh, you heard it, and there was like, a, ooh, you're gonna do it again? Okay, I'm down. But they 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 passed. You know, every single time that they do leaving here, that we cover it, it it. They play, they play it beforehand, and they try to figure it the fuck out before they go on stage. So, how come Ed can never re- remember how to play this song? I have no answer for you. <laughs> there was a point in time where they played it extraordinarily well, um, but luckily, the only thing I can say about this is, very luckily, Jeff was uh, on point. At least Jeff gets a solo. Uh, gives it a yeah. gives it a my generation type feel, which which we've talked about. The only thing is, I can't believe how much I have come to hate this song, and <sighs> and it's not just this song. Um, uh, it uh, this might be an unpopular opinion. I can't believe how much I've come to hate this song when Pearl Jam plays it. I don't, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. I think it's because Eddie doesn't remember how to play it. Half no, the time. it's That's... it's always it's always just sloppy. I, I I never think the band is super tight on it. This version to me. All right, uh, I'm about to get a little condition critical here for a moment. So if you want to, oh boy, if you want to hit the condition critical, let me f- let me find my button here. Hold on, okay, I found it. Condition critical. While I loved love Slater Kenny's backups in Harvest Moon. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I don't th- this I, this was. I come on. Let me let me say it, Matt. I, I this felt yeah. like a 1950s bubblegum song that you heard here on a freaking beach. I hated it. I hated it so much. They were just repeating what Eddie said. It, it sounds like you do you know what I'm saying. I don't. I don't even have like a reference of song. Like they're. Har- I, I don't think I mentioned it, but I, I wanted to agree with you. Their Harvest Moon, uh, the highlight of the night for me. I think it was really amazing. Not this. <laughs> this sounded awful. It did. <laughs> I straight up awful. I it, it's it's not the worst thing that we've ever heard on a Pearl Jam show that still goes to the, so you want to be a rock and roll star from that San Jose show. Right. Remember that? That was a disaster, but this isn't good. This is really bad. Again, that's awful fifties bubblegum vibe with the, the, the backup vocals, like the, the giggling girls in the back, in the background, just, Oh, I, I, hated the vibe of it they've played it better i'll leave it at that (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's man it was just it was obnoxious so uh they redeem themselves uh they go into rocking in the free world here and slater kenny's still out um and uh and who was i i can't remember her name uh the the lead on uh for slater kenny help help me out for a second current tucker yeah, right. She singing. She sings the second verse, and I think she she did a tremendous job. So, uh, it was, dude, her her verse was fucking awesome. Now this yeah. had a cool build up. I liked the build up on Rock in Here. Then they get into it, and it's full, and it's heavy, and it's fun, and it's loud. And like I said with Crazy Mary, this is exactly how you want this song to end, and this is exactly how you want to end the night, and you know me, I, I mean, I say it all the time, I'm a take-it-or-leave-it guy, take-it-or-leave-it guy with Rockin' in the Free World, but 
this one was fucking awesome. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the time when they, to me, when they owned this song. Um, and particularly, there's a whole transition where Stone takes his own lead on this. And it, that started in 2003. <laughs> and yep. he started really adding to it and really bringing stuff to the table. And again, uh, I don't beating a dead horse but i've seen this song a lot of times this was one of the pinnacle versions that i've caught um it just and i this was like the the end of a of a night where stone had so many signature moments not to say that the rest of the band didn't not to say that mike didn't have some great great moments but there was a lot of of awesome playing uh, coming from stone tonight and this was tip of the iceberg I, th I think a discussion came up uh pretty recently when i posted that uh version from camden that we covered last week and um somebody brought up that they don't understand why people are so down on this song and i don't think it's the song i think the song is fine i think it's just the predictability factor and that maybe people are are just kind of tired of the vanilla version that they've been pulling out of their hat lately and this this right here is not that this is this is on par with last week they're very good gritty emotional versions uh but just in general how the song vibes when you hear it live now it's it, it's the same as alive it's just uh you know the door it, it's basically the exit sign you know uh it's time time to go time to leave here's one last more before we kick you out um and it just doesn't have like that emphasis that it does in this point in time so i think that's a really good way to put it that it was really stone's moment back then but now it's it, i don't know it feels it feels like just another arena rock song. Now. You want to have moment of surprise sometimes. And if you don't have moment of surprise and it's not something that's like, Oh, I, I, you know, I couldn't have said that that was going to happen. You, you, you lose a little bit of the, the touch and feel with it. They could play it as good, but if it's like, okay, it's the, the second to last song or the last song of the night and you know, it is going to be that you're, you lose a little bit of your, like, I'm in the moment type of experience. You don't want to have predictability. That's always been the best thing about this band, is that there's an element of unpredictability about what's going to happen, and that's what I've always appreciated. Um, so, you know, that's really, to me, that's what it comes out with this song. It's not that it's not good. It's not that anyone doesn't like it. You, just, you want to see a little bit more randomness with what happens. Yeah, bring out a sonic reducer, bring out a kick out the jams, bring out, uh, you know, something else, a cover that they haven't touched upon. Even, uh, you know, the, for, for you guys that went to the last Hartford shows, uh, um, freaking ain't talking about love, come on, something something else, you know. Uh, but it, it's not like we want it to go away. We want it to just not be there every time you know we're eating dinner grandma uh <laughs> let 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 the family have dinner with the kids and and grandma doesn't need to be there asking uh how the kids homework is going every thursday you know that's some traditions can can be left off the table so um 
And uh, we're finishing the night with Yellow Leadbetter here, and uh, I think sometimes we like to kind of toss up between Yellow Leadbetter and Indifference, whether the night um, it made sense for them to do Yellow Leadbetter over Indifference. And I, I, I agreed. I thought this was a, a Leadbetter night. Um, sometimes the set feels a little moodier and darker uh, and more emotional, and I think that's when you should go to Indifference. But um, I think Leadbetter was appropriate here. Definite Leadbetter night for sure. Absolutely. This is one of those nights where I feel like if they didn't end with Yellow Leadbetter, I, I could honestly, and this is few and far between, but I would have said, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Um, wow. Just because they, they hit it. You know, there were so many things that they hit on this night, and this was like a, a way to say, thank you for being here. This has been awesome, and drive safely. Um, that's that's the vibe that that came off this. It was it was really well played. It was interesting. The little riff of uh, over the hills that they throw in there. Uh, it's it was a fun a fun tease. I caught that at Jones Beach, the one of the first times he did it um, a few years before, and uh, just fun, great way to end. And it was good vibe and energy and. It definitely was the right call to end the show. Yeah, and I think Matt and I discussed this a lot. Uh, and Matt, Matt's pretty much over Leadbetter, and I, I don't remember a time where Matt's ever liked Leadbetter. But um, I, I think instead of just saying, you know, whether or not we like the performance, I think it's more of a uh, did it, did it define how the night ended up? It did it, did it. Uh, perfectly put a bow on what you just saw. And and there aren't a lot of songs that they do choose to fully close the night out with. It's this, it's indifference, or sometimes they just close with rockin' or alive or something like that. But um, uh, they really need to put a bow on this, and, and Leadbetter was the perfect bow. And, and um, the Over the Hills and Far Away Led Zeppelin tag uh, was, was, a nice little, uh, was a nice little touch. So... Um, now that we're at the end, why don't we all rate the show? Patrick, you're our guest, so you go first. I, 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 this is, of the 33 formal shows that I saw, this is easily, for me, was in the top three. Um, so I give it a very strong nine. Um, I'm very, very cautious not to go ten, and that's not by... Um, Good man. It, that's not even by like lack of, a, of being there. I listen to a ton of shows, and maybe I'm probably... I, I, I sort of have show envy sometimes when I listen to things, and I'm like, that's the best that I've ever heard. So I, I tend to, to disqualify if I'm at a show. I draw back a little bit and not get overloaded with experience. But this was, this was up there. Um, like I said, there was a lot of pinnacle versions that i caught and it was a very very strong nine all right so yeah i mean uh, a couple little hiccups i i didn't like the direction of i believe in miracles uh they they were tight when they played it i just didn't like how it sounded and there was just some songs that i think weren't showcased properly and uh, and i i think this show had a couple problems with um placement which of course is a big deal in in a podcast that talks about set lists and placement um but i'm going to basically ignore all of that because they were so tight 
and they were so good. You could just, if you don't like the order, just listen to this bootleg on shuffle, and uh, it's going to absolutely kick your ass and blow your mind. So uh, eight and a half, easy. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't agree with some of the placement uh, for songs here. Um, the order was a little confusing in spots like Immortality and, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I wasn't even thinking about, uh, don't give me no lip, not getting more of a prominent spot, uh, of being showcased. And, and it could have been due to the, uh, the fact that they weren't confident about it going in, but man, they, they, they kicked ass on it and they're really outside of leaving here. There really wasn't one song that I didn't care for on this show. Uh, I loved every single performance and um, it's one that I, I am certainly going to go back to at some point. Um, uh, I think, it, I think it is a solid 8.5. I think it's better than Camden from last week. And I, I, I am, am happy to have had it in class and more so. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there are some things from this show that, um, you know, like Harvest Moon and, and Don't Give Me No Limp and, uh, you know, the performance of Black uh, that you can really, there are those moments I can understand why Patrick is really, really high on this one. Um, you can just bottle up these moments and, and take them with you, hope to take them with you or wherever you go. So 8.5 is, is, and if I was at the show, it, it, I'm, I'm right with you. I, it would be an easy nine. So, um, all right, that's, uh, one more thing to do with you, Patrick. And, uh, since we started the tradition, um, we're going to play a game. Okay. All right. Uh, have you, have you thought about this at all? Do you, do you remember from the last episode? Have you thought about, uh, what your category would be? I haven't even imagined what category you're going to throw at me, but I have thought, I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to be a guest on the show, and they're doing quizzes now. Matt, I want you to count. I want you to do the count. I'm going to uh, I'm going to do the shot clock and the stopwatch here. And this is, I, sh- I should have chose something else. You know what? No Googling. No Google machine. Uh we are going to change. We're going to change what we're going to do here. I was going to do another category. Name as many lost dog songs as you can in one minute. I'll give you like a couple seconds here. All right, and now let's start the clock in three. Matt, count count them, Matt, because uh, I got to look at the the clock. So in three, two, one, go. Uh, whale song, wash, uh, in the moonlight, sad. Uh, education, fatal footsteps. Um, oh boy, what are all those Christmas singles that were on there? Uh, you've got uh, "Let Me Sleep" and uh, you got "Undone" was on there, and "Down" was on there, and "Yellow Leadbetter," "Dirty Frank," and "Brother." And oh boy, hold on was on there, and you're missing some songs that that were played this night. Don't give me no seconds. It was on there, and uh, ten, in five, uh, four, 
three, get one at the buzzer, two, one. Time is up. I think I counted 15 songs. I, I, I thought what, I had like 32 that are on there. Yeah. <laughs> and you missed one that we covered tonight. You missed B-Girl. Oh, God. You know, and the reason for that is I don't think that should have been on Lost Dogs, but whatever. <laughs> uh, maybe, well, it's. I think it's dead last on there, right? So. Yeah, it's it's before the... the cut. I thought I counted 15. You said maybe 16. There might have been 16. Either way, I, thought it was 16. I, I think there's only 30 songs on the album, right? So half is pretty good on, on the spot. We didn't give you yeah. any We didn't give you any sort of idea that we were going to give you that as the topic. So I think that's pretty good. And you know, what's, you know what's nice is that he didn't embarrass himself by saying songs that weren't on the album. Like he didn't say State of Love and Trust or Breath or <laughs> Leatherman or, or Santa God or something like that. I hate being put on the spot. I would have, I would have said you, and then frozen, <laughs> especially being under like the clock. You know, I, I would have. That's it. I would have, I would have panicked. That's exactly. So I was on a show called Beer Money once. Do you guys remember that show? You were on I Beer Money. I had no idea you were on that. Yeah, I was on Beer Money back in like '09 or 2010. Um, they uh, they caught up with me at a Met game and. It's essentially the same thing. Oh, wait a minute. I do remember that. And did oh. you tell them you worked for ESPN or something and they didn't air you or something? No, they aired me. I was on a damn commercial. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> they put me on an ad. Um, I was a fucking embarrassment. I think I got seven or eight or nine. I, I got less than $100. It was $10 per, per right answer. But uh, I did pretty well. I did pretty well. Wait, so. do I get $10 per right answer? No, 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 no. <laughs> we get ten dollars for right answer. Uh, maybe we should do a thing where it's like if you get a past a certain threshold, you get a free bootleg or something like that. Yeah, maybe we should do that. I don't know. Things that we haven't thought of for one thousand Trebek. Um, so that was a really fun episode, and um, Patrick, thanks for joining us today, and uh, we really appreciate your insight. Uh, and this was awesome and let's do it again soon. I would love to, and I want to thank you guys both for doing this. It's, it's great to be able to listen every week and pick up a show and, uh, and dig into it. And I just very appreciative of the fact you guys are taking your time to do this and I love supporting it. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, we can catch shows in the near future and I'd love to be able to, uh, catch some PJ shows and uh, and talk more about it as well. So uh, again, thank you guys because I know it takes a lot of time and effort to do it. So it's much appreciated. Absolutely, thank you. We really appreciate. You know, we 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 can't do it without input from everybody else. So uh, you know, you're right there. You you were right there from the beginning, and you know, putting us in the right direction. So uh, we again, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll do this again real soon. Sounds great. All right, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people uh, shared their uh, experiences with us here, um, not, on fa- not just on Facebook, but on the porch as well. I'll try to, I'm kind of reading as I go along, so I'll try to get as many people's uh, recollection as, as possible. But this one, uh, a lot more than others in recent weeks, have, have, has gotten a good response, and and I don't know if it's due to Facebook algorithm, but some someone's on Facebook. They 
the algorithm at certain times of night either it gets to certain people or it doesn't, but this one apparently got to a lot of people. Um, I also think it could be location too, and uh, Ottawa, I think the Ottawa fans or Canadian fans were certainly happy to oblige and share some stories with us. So the first one I'm going to share is from Ian McInern, I hope that's how uh, I'm pronouncing it, McInern, but it's Ian. He says this was his first show. Uh, He got free tickets from his wife's work, first level, two sections from the back, uh, from the stage on Mike's side. Had been going to concerts for 30 years, yes, that old, and... This one simply blew me away. Still the best concert I'd ever been to. Lucky enough to have an aisle seat where I can get up and dance. The gentleman sitting behind me had traveled from Boston. We talked often during breaks between songs. It was my first Pearl Jam experience of the first experience of the camaraderie that exists between Pearl Jam fans. I wasn't sure my wife would enjoy it, but she did too. So much for that since she's been to three other shows. Uh, Wash. Gave me goosebumps, Crazy Mary, the Zeppelin tag during Ledbetter. Just an awesome show. Thank you, Ian. Uh, I'm, again, just looking at more here. Um, I will share Trevor Baxter's uh, story. Uh, I drove from Toronto to Ottawa. The rain came down hard as we approached the city, and because of it, I didn't reach my hotel until much later than I had planned. After a brief stop at the pre-party, we went on to the venue, picked up our tickets, and went into the show. Only caught a little bit of Slater Kinney's set. When Pearl Jam took stage and Stone drummed the telltale G minor penning of Wash, I knew we were in for something special. Ed was aloof all night, Mike was on fire, and Matt was pounding the shit out of the skins. The slow build open to rearview mirror really fed off the energy of the crowd. The whole band was jamming their hearts out. This is a version that always stands out to me as one of the best that I've ever heard. Other highlights include Stone giving Ed's vocals a break and singing and dancing to Don't Give Me No Lip and a killer acoustic I Believe in Miracles. I have the poster framed and smile every when I see it every morning walking down my stairs. This was a highlight show for me and the boot still stands the test of time. Absolutely it does. That bootleg is that's a gem for sure. Uh, we are... Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like we've said it a few times, uh, but uh, I, I don't. I feel like we can't get the point across enough that you have to go listen to this bootleg. Um, by the way, I don't know if we've shared this, but uh, this is this this podcast is really just a pyramid scheme for us to get bootlegs. Yeah, and it's working. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> Honestly, all with all the uh, with all the new bootlegs that. You know, people generously uh, uh, donated our way um, for the shows that we've covered. It, it has been wonderful to uh, to have them in my collection. So um, I'm trying to find one more story. That that might be it for the stories. I, I think um, I, I think we got two. We got two two good ones. Um, we've you know it, that's all right. The, we kind of had a whole episode worth of stories. So uh, you know that. We got the idea of, of, you know, paint the picture of the night and, you know, we couldn't be there. We got somebody that was and, and it was perfect. That was that was a very good episode. And uh, before we uh, we close this podcast, uh, let's get a public service announcement for you.
Live on Four Legs is happy to present a weekly podcast dedicated to the Pearl Jam Live experience. While we try to get ourselves to as many shows as possible, we have only attended a small fraction compared to the entire live history. That's why we need your help. We want to get to know who you are. If there's a live show that you've attended that you'd like to see us cover in our program, please send us an email at liveonfourlegs, that's the number four, liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com. We want to know your entire live experience. Did you once miss a flight? Get lucky in the 10 Club Lottery? Catch a white whale? Your stories will help us mold this into the best podcast it could possibly be. You're already getting to know who we are. Now it's time for us to know... Who you are. We are very open to episodes. I have a lot of stuff booked for the next couple months, but that doesn't mean that we aren't uh, accepting new episode requests. Uh, that means uh, things can just get booted to later. Um, and next week is a perfect example of that because uh, I it was just kind of I, I was just kind of filling in spots and um you know we're trying to do every other episode be a guest and also I'm, I'm going on vacation in two weeks so i wanted to make sure we didn't have a guest then so um i don't i don't even think i told you what we were doing did i did i tell you yet uh, for next week yeah actually next week I, next week i do not know no okay because I, I i don't think i knew um I no, think you, yeah last last week it was still up in the air yeah I think that uh I I uh we're gonna do something from 1996 uh we're gonna do Barcelona and that's penciled in as of right now it could by the time as we you know this it gets on air we might change our minds uh but I think let's let's stick to that we just gotta find a good boot of it and and beyond our way uh but um again like that that's one that if you have if there's a better story out there from you guys if you guys have something to share like something like barcelona 96 we could just push back to it a couple of weeks and we can just push something new in there and and get it going on but um we'll we'll, we'll stick with barcelona because uh we haven't really been outside of north america in a while and um i think it's a good idea to hit no code era and this one is good for a bunch of reasons that I can't remember at this moment, but I do remember. Oh, you know what it's good for? Okay, this is going to be the first time that we dive into sound check. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, I, I I don't know why we're I'm not as prepared to to do that one next week. I, I guess it's because it's early in the week that we're recording this, and I'm usually on uh on schedule and stuff at this point but uh i'm not and that's okay uh but yeah we'll we'll stick to it barcelona 1996 it's known for having an amazing sound check and uh that's probably what we're going to be spending a lot of our time on is the sound check and you know no code error stuff so a lot of guests coming on pretty soon uh a couple repeat guests uh Steve's going to come back on with us. Um, John Farrar is going to come back on with us. Uh, we are going to have uh, Live on Four Legs super fan Aurelian on with us uh, in two weeks, I believe. Um, and we're also going to have fellow podcaster Brad Blazik on with us in a couple weeks. 
So sweet. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff kind of lined up here. Um, dates are still kind of floating around, but um, some are tentative, some around. Um, so yeah, anything else you'd like to say before we go bye bye? Uh, no, just uh, I, I want to thank Patrick again for uh, suggesting such a fantastic show i mean simple as that i don't I think it. anybody has steered us wrong yet with uh their selection no we've we've gotten good selections and requests for shows especially when that person joins us so uh we got to keep this streak going because it's it's been a really good streak absolutely and um look uh if you're itching to come on the show uh there's there's an easy way to do it um just go on patreon uh, become a patron, patron supporter and support the show and in return come on the show and uh, we will have exclusive episodes for you if not every month every other month we're still we're still not talking about uh, what to do for that but we'll, we'll be talking about that very soon maybe we'll get you something later late February that's a little extra but um, you know if if, if uh, New Year's Eve 1992 is something that uh, you really want to hear us cover. Uh, it's up on Patreon right now. Uh, you know, just shoot us over a dollar or whatever is convenient to you, and uh, and that that'll do it. That that's all we're looking for. We're just you know we're looking for a little support, a little something to help us out with our funds here, and obviously uh, you know we'll we'll do some more charity stuff uh, later. Um, and that's uh, that's about all I have for now. So, um, and you know, sometimes like you get in this groove. We've been talking for about four hours now. This is a long fucking show, and sometimes I don't know when to stop talking. Like I almost don't. Maybe <laughs> what? Maybe when you have, maybe when you have to bring up the fact that you don't know when to stop talking. Maybe that's the time. I'm going to be like a toddler where I, I just going like, you know, bananas for, for five hours, you know, throwing toys and, and screaming every now and again and just running around. And then like the minute that you put him in bed, the minute I, 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 uh, turn away from my bike, I, I might just fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that, that, uh, that's at our limit of, uh, of words for today. Twitter has a limit of words. Uh, we should, we should probably have a limit of words on this show too. Um, all right. It may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may, may be parting ways, I miss you already. And I miss you always for Andy and Matt for live on four legs podcast and for the great band named Pearl Jam. We shall see you next time. Bye.